Welcome to the Save Room, your safe haven for gaming news and discussion. My name is Kevin. And my name is Daniel. And this is episode 57. Ow! 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 I hear the one-armed wolf out there. Let me <laughs> tell you what. If you didn't know, the Save Room is brought to you by two soft boys that never figured out how to hold an N64 controller correctly. You're wrong. My hands are malformed because of it. I was just, like, love wrapping it, like, yeah. all the way around. Like, yeah. so my little kid hands were just, like, it looks like I was choking out Nintendo's to I have like anyway. sart hands. Like, what are those called? Satyrs? Those fucking Satyrs? hooved goat monsters? What? Those Excuse kids? me? They have like weird hands. What do you see in your dreams? <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Anyway, you can find us in SoundCloud.com slash The Save Room Show or Spotify or Google Play or Stitcher or iTunes and on RSS feeds across the dark web. Mm. Please like, share, subscribe, and swear fealty at your leisure. Yeah, if not, we'll challenge you to a sword fight and you will lose. That's how it goes. Posture, son. Right? If you want to argue with us on Twitter, though, you can hop into our mentions over at Save Room Show. You got it. You nailed yeah, it. Nailed it, dude. Yeah, I love it. And if you want to see me lose my sanity in Sekiro on a live broadcast, watch me stream at twitch.tv slash theredherb. I've seen it. I've seen you stream in there. You've been doing a lot of the same fight over and over and over again. I'll tell you about that later. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. You, we, don't, we don't need to revisit You slipped into alcoholism on there. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to watch me basically copy everything Kevin does in Sekiro, you can find me over at twitch.tv slash dungeonsanddaniels. I die probably twice as much, and... Uh, yeah, it's an experience. Yeah, but it's twice the fun, man. Yeah, it is. Actually, I am going to sue from software. <laughs> I have definitely died more than twice, so that is okay. actually false advertising. I'm going to win my fucking suit. I'm going to take Miyazaki's house. And that is how you get good, son. I wouldn't want to take anything from strong. that man, though. You know, yeah. He seems like a really well-to-do, like, sound, sweet man. He's the Walt Disney of macabre video games. Yeah, is he a sure. Nazi? I don't know. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. whoa. <laughs> Coming out of Walt Disney and the Walt Disney Foundation. Damn, dude. Leave Walt Disney's very apparent Nazism on out in the front door, okay? Get oh out of here. <laughs> you want to talk about a movie instead of video games real quick with me? I, I do. I want to wrap up. My, my dude, you've been good? You've been all right this week? I've been fine. Yeah. Okay. No, well, I think I've been good this week, yeah. actually. I've been fine. I've been doing some stuff. Okay. I feel like I, I did good at work, mm -hmm. so I deserve a treat treated myself to chicken fingers every day nice because <laughs> i found an ezels around the corner I okay didn't know yeah you were telling me about it. i Ezel's. did not know renton washington had one of our very own to claim so they they just do like fried chicken tenders and fries and fried chicken okay. overall but their chicken tenders are especially succulent how would you rate it against uh that one place you really like from texas Oh, don't don't do that. How would you rate it? No. What's, what's that place called? No, Daniel, no. It's called um fuck. Well, there's Pluckers, which mm -hmm. I didn't take you to, which no. is amazing. And Vargi knows. Vargi shout out. By the way, he's not just a man with a beautiful bod. He's a wonderful mod. Thank you, Vargi. The mod with the bod. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and um oh, Raisin Canes. Raisin Canes. How does it compare against the stature of Raisin Canes? They're different, but okay. I I love the taste of raisin canes. You mm. can really like the salt is so sharp on that bread. Got that salt ooh. sharp. Ooh, it's got that salt sharp. Yeah, okay. for sure. I love it. I like raisin canes. Yeah. I'm a Huey Magoo's motherfucker, and I love oh. me some Zaxby's. So that's my like lineage. If we're not talking Yo, public Zach sauce, yeah, Zach sauce. We're not talking public chicken tenders, which is the fucking sensei of all fried things. Oh yeah, it's on the mountain. Yeah, it's up there. It, it's definitely a, a general if, if it were yeah. secure, <laughs> for sure. But last night we saw a movie. Mm -hmm. We saw Jordan Peele's Us. We wanted to talk it through for like five minutes because we might actually do a little Save Room episode about it, but super high level. I liked it. I didn't think it was better than Get Out. A lot of people feel that way, 
But I still believe that it shows Jordan Peele should always be behind the fucking camera Mm -hmm. until the end of time. Because all of his movies are so confidently shot. They're so, like, they feel like films. Even when the subject matter, as this movie showed, didn't really match the artistry of his filming. I don't know. I I agree. He's definitely one of the more... um... Wow. He's a very high-level horror auteur. Like, the stuff he did with yeah. Get Out was, like, so visually impressive. His overhead shots, the way he cut scenes together, his his use of editing and music, and his script writing, it's all great. You saw samples of that in, in Key and Peele. I'm not so sure you saw it so much in that movie about the cat. I forget what that one's called. Keanu. Keanu. I'm not sure that was there. You know, it was did a fun little... Did they direct that? I, I think yeah. they were just in it. I don't know. If no, they... they directed it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know if it was considered a monkey paw production, but... Uh... I don't know if anybody would consider yeah. it. But I, I agree. This movie definitely cemented his foothold as like being one of the most important horror directors of this generation. Hmm. He's, he's killing it. He's killing it. Yeah. What did you really like about it? What did I really like about it? I liked... Um, honestly, every every scene felt like a genuine surprise. There were moments where even if I didn't agree with their direction <laughs> that it went, I was still like, hey, didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so th- there's a bit of that. Again, I love I love the core cast. I love the family dynamic, which oh. was really cool. We didn't get that in Get Out. In this one, we, we, we were seeing like a family in action. You, I don't know. You see this weird like inverse satirical family take with, uh, mm. with uh, what's her name? Allison? His girlfriend, her family. Are we talking about Get Out? Yeah, yeah, Get yeah, Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it really, it's just about their relationship, the two of them, and even that you find a little twisted. But this yeah, is yeah, like you—you you have this family unit uh, that's so well put together by uh, Lupita Nyong'o, and I don't remember the other characters' names. Uh, one of the dude from um, Black from Panther, Black Panther, yeah. Mbaku. He was great. He was so good, and the two kids were fucking phenomenal. Like, if those were their breakout roles, like they definitely, they definitely earned it. I'm looking up his name. Okay, because this... Winston Duke. Winston Duke. He Winston was great. Duke, he, he was, was in Black so Panther. good. Yeah. Elizabeth and Moss was pretty good in it, too. And, yeah. And, uh, what, Tim Heidecker was but, in it, too? But Lupita. Lupita carried oh the God. whole fucking movie. Yeah. Carried it. With the dual role. <clears throat> like, holy shit, her performance alone is, like, transcends the film itself. But it got to a point where, I don't want to reveal anything, but it starts to explain what's going on. Mm-hmm. And to be quite frank... I didn't need the explanation. I could have just left that to be like a big question mark. Mm-hmm. I know what's happening. We got this this uh, duplicate family that's terrorizing our main cast. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of fine enough. Like, I honestly was fine with like, I don't really need to know where you came from. Mm-hmm. I just know that you want to do harm. And maybe you tell us through like little fragments, like, mm-hmm. you know, through a story here and there. Because, uh, you know, uh, the dual character Red ended up doing that, saying like, here's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. But then it just went too hard into that. Well, the way they even do it with that, with that, uh, the, what do they call them? The shadows? Yeah, the, the, no, 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 they're the tethered. The tethers. Which, again, still reveals yeah. a little bit too much about this. I it's, want people to go blind it's fine. into it. But, like, when they're first wreaking havoc on the family, it's just like, yeah. it's almost like they're playing with them. It's sadistic. It's like kind of a reeled in horror movie feel. And that's fun. And then it goes kind of like one act too long into like over explaining it yeah. all. And I'm like, I like when it's more reeled in. Get Out worked for me because it was super reeled in. This, I know it had a high concept. High concept, yeah. That it really wanted to convey. And, like, I give Jordan Peele all the credit for, for trying with it because, like, he lands most of it. He yeah. really does. He does. Yeah. Yeah, but, but again, if you would have reined in that high concept, like bring it mm-hmm. back down and just have it where it's like, we don't know where the fuck they mm-hmm. came from. I think I would have enjoyed that experience far more. Yeah. But I, I find myself having more story problems with it than I did with like the overall filming and casting. Everything was pitch perfect in my mind, mm-hmm. except for the story. Yeah. The story was like, eh. Yeah. I, would, I would actually be super interested to see Jordan Peele take on somebody else's script. 
I think he has an important voice, but I would love to see him like, hey, let me take an interpretation of somebody else's material. Okay. Much in the same way that horror directors in the past, like John True. Carpenter have and Wes Craven, where it's like... So you want to see him remake a classic, basically? No, no, <laughs> no. Not like that. that I still want him to do original shit. I just want him to take on maybe, like, let's see what... Like, somebody else's voice and then his vision combined. Because, like, when he's doing all of the legwork, I feel like that's where the stressor was. Where, sure. like, I think he had a, a certain vision for it in his mind that didn't quite... It wasn't quite communicated well through the story itself. Uh, I mean, I have to like, disagree did you know that here this, and there. This, 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 did you... Like, the whole story is, a, like, an allegory for how class works in America. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah... Class and slavery and bondage in certain ways. Yeah. Sure. Well, actually, it's less about race and just more about, like, the class in America itself. Mm-hmm. And, like, but some of that was, like, very obvious and some of it was just, like, uh, yeah, I see where you're going, but it feels like you're getting bogged down with the explanation of these things sure. as well. Sure, sure, sure. So it's like, eh, that's I, what it was. I think it was an original concept that really landed. It's a neat original idea. Uh, yeah, we're going to see how he handles other people's material because he's doing uh, the Twilight Zone series, and we'll see if he kind of like jumps off of it. Mixed any... reaction so far, by Really? The way. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. that's interesting. That's but, surprising, right? I mean, but that would be, from what I can remember, a first idea of his that he's done that isn't completely original out of his brain or monkey paw or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see how he lands with that. But this, this landed for me. I thought the script was great. It was funny where I I didn't expect it to be it was tense i felt super anxious the entire time between like some of the music like the score was really like cacophonous and short in yeah. points and like this really like i don't know it was a tense ballet of, of arrangements it was tense i'll yeah. give it that it was tense even when like you know the high concept could get silly sometimes mm-hmm. it still worked because the way that he views horror is just so on the point where mm-hmm. it's like oh wow i'm seeing something that like is a Effective because yeah. it builds off of everything that's come before, but it's his kind of distillation of that. That's, that's fucking yeah. great. Also, shout out to Tim Heidecker getting a role that actually suits him in a film. <laughs> <laughs> there was this moment with him that is just genuinely surprising. I'm like, wow, this is where the movie has like just kind of the surprising personality to it. Yeah, but I, I'll give it to you. It, it lands where it lands. Lupita, she carries that movie because that movie's about her. And I, I really got to say, her performance with the the vocal ticks and that anxiety oh, yeah. speak that she was doing. I know there's probably a certain name for it but like as somebody who survived like trauma like the the way she conveyed it was just spot on it made me feel tense i was like oh wow honestly if (laughs) if if, even if it was like directed by somebody else and different script and everything if she was still in it i'd be like yeah that performance is the Mm -hmm. reason you go see this film yeah but everything else around it it works for me the story doesn't work everything else absolutely Mm -hmm. works so that's it's a weird balance again i still recommend the movie go fucking see it save room reviews would say well we've got five on this movie go see it was that a reference yeah (laughs) Yeah. we got five on it all right it's good buddy what uh oh, so I've, what I've, been, I've been sitting on my stadia thoughts the past few weeks because i've had time to settle with it really get it into my head and, and really think about how i feel about it look at that that's what google wants yeah i want you to obsess sit in your bed just wondering i'm stuck in the thinking. cloud man it's permeating every aspect of my life i don't know how to get Yo, out dude, of it they took your mind share. <laughs> they took my mind share <laughs> wow <laughs> they did it with a fucking wireless controller that i don't even have yet what's it like to have google move into your head rent free <laughs> bro <laughs> Feel cheated, dude. <laughs> but I don't know. I've been thinking about Stadia, and, and the more I think about its concept, its its capabilities, its technical capacities, the more it's, it kind of falls apart for me. It didn't originally. I, I mean, I thought there was kind of some some ground for it. I was like, sure, it's a neat idea. A lot of yeah. cool things that only Google could probably pull off because they have infinite resources. Whatever, whatever. But just, I don't know. Some of the tech that some of the things are boasting, it just seems too soon. It doesn't seem like we're there for this stream anywhere 8K possibility. 
But do you, would you agree that everyone has a vested interest mm-hmm. in streaming in some capacity? We got PS Now, we got Xbox shoring up on their end, especially with Xbox Games Pass. Yeah. So would you at least agree that it's like the direction we're going to move in eventually? Even if even if not soon. I will concede, and I'm going to walk back a point I had, where yeah. I was like, okay, five to ten years, the digital-only future seems yeah. a little rough. Okay, the digital only in the future, it's it's happening. It's going to happen. But I like I I do still think it's going to be that digital. The idea of a stream only future is kind of mm. what breaks my mind a little bit when I'm just like I don't think we're there for that. I don't think everybody across the whole nation is down for that. It's just it wouldn't work large scale. It really wouldn't. Unless you're putting personal Google servers in every neighborhood and every exactly. fucking city to make this shit happen. The infrastructure <laughs> isn't quite there. Yeah. And I feel like that's one thing where it's like, "Hey, I get it, giant corporation that makes all of its money off of a search engine." Um they want you to be excited and they want to pose it as an exciting thing. And like, yeah. look, Jade Raymond's on the scene. She believes in us. Now you pay her. <laughs> you pay That's her, true. by the way. You had to steal her from Ubisoft. Yeah, you get to make a lot of happen. excitement out of people that you pay. <laughs> just ask Ninja and EA, huh? Oh my God. So, <laughs> I, you know, let me just pose it like that. But it's like the reality of it is that a lot of people are not going to have the internet to support that shit. Mm-hmm. And that was the argument that we made on, on the last episode. Yeah. And I think, I think digital makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Because at least like I can download it and have a consistent experience with my game, even if I, even if we get two steps away from actually owning it anymore. Because even digital, like if the license elapses and you have no ability to re-download that mm-hmm. game, like we saw with PT a little while yeah. ago, yeah, or we saw that with Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game <gasps> yeah. with Ubisoft, like that game yeah. did disappeared off of the PlayStation storefront for a while, and I think that's the idea that stuck with me that bothered me the more over time. It's like well. Right. When I buy my games physically, I know that I still own that, unless like I don't have renter's insurance and somebody breaks into my fucking apartment and steals all my games. But until that point, you know, I own my games because I purchased them. <laughs> this digital only thing, like Ubisoft can come along, Nintendo could be like, "Hey, we're taking that license away. That game doesn't exist anymore." Right? They did it with the entire Nintendo shop, like, <laughs> right? Shop, right. like it happens. So digital <laughs> is questionable, and yeah. then like streaming is like, "Oh, you really don't own it." It's I mean, really not. Yours. Look at the rotation of stuff on Netflix. You know, mm-hmm. like license yeah. expired. They don't want to pay for the rights to the Office anymore, so they're gonna boot it off one day. And it's like, well, that kind of sucks. Yeah, I like the idea of always knowing I can go to this collection that I have. But it's a curated collection that these companies want us to have. I don't think... I think <laughs> streaming... A streaming future is a possibility, but it's not necessarily a solution for a problem anyone has mm-hmm. right now. It really is just benefiting the corporations that are pushing for it because it's less overhead because they don't have to go to the retail model mm-hmm. anymore. You know? That's true. They're not losing money on pre-owned right. games. Digital is the future because it makes business sense to a degree. Mm-hmm. And you see weird moves like um, Sony, for instance, they pulled their fucking... um, Yeah, we didn't talk about this. Yeah, we didn't talk about them last episode. They pulled their whole uh, digital versions of games that you can buy from retailers, including GameStop. Mm -hmm. You could still get like points cards or, you know, the 25 and 50 still, like gift cards. But you cannot just like pre-order a game and get a download code from uh, retail no more. That's an interesting thing. So that means like, hey, we want to single source you to... PSN. So mm-hmm. there's no, we don't owe anything to retailers. We want it all to, close to the chest. And apparently GameStop is getting to a point where they will also like have varying flexible uh, currencies. currencies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so whatever it could be like, hey, if you traded in some games and got 33 bucks and there you go, you can get 33 in digital, mm. digital uh, Sony bucks okay. if you wanted to. So it, it, it's weird. I, I get it though. Now, on one factor, if we're getting really granular, I am confused about the type of consumer that walks in, trades in physical media, and then gets a digital code or 
pre-orders a digital mm-hmm. code for a specific game. Like I'm just like, are you are you just trying to get are you trying to go into the all digital future by getting rid of your shit? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's possible that maybe like those were gifts. Maybe the the yeah. their games that they had traded in for previously. Oh, maybe they yeah. got it pre-owned because like you can't get pre-owned codes. So like I don't know. Maybe it's a value play for some pre-owned people codes. to buy a pre-owned game. Somebody owns code exactly. Like it doesn't it does not work like that for for games. <laughs> so but yeah, I don't know. We see Sony doing things like that, kind of managing their own overhead and. Uh, it's just the whole the whole thought space of digital only future yeah. it's it seems rickety uh, we're still a while before it all kind of comes together in a fashion that like gels for everyone seems rickety but plain as day mm-hmm. but it's like a lot of conflicting interests because now we're asking these companies to manage themselves and they manage themselves in much different regards mm-hmm. look at uh look at epic game store that okay. everyone well, consumers fucking hate that store because it doesn't have any of the actual features that they are accustomed to on Steam, but they're seeing exclusivity deals happen because Epic has the money to make that happen, mm-hmm. and they have the better cut for developers and publishers that want to distribute their shit on there. Weren't people pissed about like the whole Metro Exodus thing that that very like, yeah that Epic had like exclusive yeah. rights to it like for the first week, and I was like, uh, wow, okay, I haven't seen that too often. Right. So when you remove retail, <laughs> the retail model, it gets a lot of well, it gets confusing because mm-hmm. then it's like all right who's responsible and how good is their customer service and Mm -hmm. what can they actually provide and then you realize man they're all making a bunch of moves that really benefit them and not the consumer Mm -hmm. (laughs) that so i i get it where the fear of moving digital streaming is like a bridge too far (laughs) in my mind i think it's just it's still too new so far removed from having any kind of right or say over your content (laughs) because like okay i think about it in the way that i think of like putting movies on youtube like you're housing a certain amount of data but to house games like there's so much more like they need way more space and to to cloud save all that it just it seems like such a you gotta have a lot of bandwidth for that shit. You Google. A, you gotta have a lot of Planet bandwidth, Google. baby. But like, okay, so inevitably all these game stops, brick and mortar starts. They're all gonna close, mm-hmm. and we're gonna have to move to this, and we're gonna have to deal with it. But uh, that is that's like ten plus years away, I think. The About whole then, only. we're gonna be too preoccupied fighting for water and other resources like oil. No, no, we're, we're always fighting for games. the internet, man. No, we're always fighting for the internet. It's yeah. about the internet. I was just envisioning Mad Max, okay. but apparently nobody wants to have that future. No. I want to be a leather daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a uh, uh, final note on that one. Um, Apple actually detailed their streaming plan. Yeah. Um, I don't give a fuck. You want to move on to the real news? Yeah, for sure. Fantastic. Okay, cool. No, but really, nobody cares. They want to play for your, like, hours or some shit. I'm sorry. They want they want to get you to pay for hours played, or they pay out to the devs for how many hours are played. That's weird. That's not going to be good. That's not Everybody's good. trying to get skin in the game. That's They're weird. trying to do it. Walmart's trying to do it. Like Yeah, what the fucking Walmart? Like, why? Walmart's getting it? No, dial your shit yeah. back, everyone. <laughs> dial your shit back. Google, I can at least trust. Xbox, Sony... I'll give it to them because they, they know what they're doing. Google you can trust? Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> they've had for all my search engine needs, yeah. they've had my back. Sure, they're selling my data, but whatever. <sighs> they've got me. No, they're just recording your data. <laughs> they're recording it for the, then to learn how to sell to you better. You're going to get fucking Ready Player One advertisements in your fucking brain. <laughs> they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out a way to do it. That sounds like a nightmare. Ready Player Two. <laughs> get ready for it i got some news on here there's a lot of news but it's good news sure mm, well actually one of these is really bad news let me walk that one back on the next episode 
<laughs> Number one on here, dude. Twitch Prime members. You just got Nintendo Switch Online for free. Oh, damn. Check underneath your chair. I don't have Twitch Prime. Oh, oh I'm sorry. What, what's it, like 100 bucks a year? How much is it? A, don't even worry about it. Okay. It's 119 actually. For the, for the whole year of Prime? Yep. Wow. Yeah. They raise the price. You know what? I think I, I lucked out here by just getting Nintendo yeah, Online. Sure? Yeah. You could have gotten Tetris, uh, Tetris 99. For 120 bucks. For 120 bucks, man. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, I, I gathered this news from Ars Technica, a Mr. Sam Machikovic. Killed it. Made it. Killed yeah. it. Right on. Amazon has announced that if you have Twitch Prime, an added benefit of paying for an Amazon Prime subscription, you now have access to a full year of Nintendo Switch Online at no extra cost. I'm going to say that one more time this episode. Get ready for it. Now, that's a $20 value, by the way. Already paid for Switch Online? You're not screwed because this offer stack on top of any period you've already paid for. The only catch here actually makes sense. You can't redeem the full year immediately. You'll receive three months of NSO first, then, after 60 days, the remaining six months. This is actually dissuade uh, one-month Prime subscribers from gaming the system to playing a game system. Uh, okay. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, you get it? It makes sense. Yeah. So, that's PSA for you, because I thought I was fucked, because I already had Twitch Prime, mm -hmm. and also paid for Nintendo, Nintendo Switch Online, expressly to play Tetris 99. It's it's weird that's like a staggered subscription, but like, I get it? No, yeah, because like, people are like, oh, I fucking canceled my Amazon Prime subscription, but now I have Switch Online for mm -hmm. a whole year. Nah. Nah, they know. They, they know, know what you They're do. They're it. The data shows the truth. Well, this is a cool little shout out. Uh, yeah. Good shit, dude. Uh, I, I'm i not going to jump on it. What? Yeah, because I don't have Twitch Prime and I'm not going to dish out the money for that. I don't buy stuff through Twitch that often. I'm not sorry. You buy stuff through Amazon. Through Amazon, I for mean. For instance, yeah. you need to buy a new mic cord. <laughs> I do. You could get that through Amazon Basics. I could, couldn't I? But you need to get the, the threaded one so Clementine doesn't fucking bite through it anymore yeah oh god i feel she like i have to look those. for that in every item description it's hard i Is think it I cat look, repellent i look for the micro usb one and it's hard to find cat repellent yeah no dude just leave the door open one day <laughs> we've repelled this cat <laughs> all right number two daniel i got sales figures for you devil may cry 5 has sold 2 million units since launch uh, this comes from VG247. Sharif Saeed wrote it. Uh, apparently, the game's director, Hidaki Itsuno, <laughs> revealed the figure during a GDC panel where the topic was presumably how to animate cowboy dancing. Uh, in comparison, Devil May Cry 4 holds the record for best-selling series entry at 3 million units, life to date. That makes DMC5 the fastest-selling game in the franchise. Well, it looks like it's on track to outsell it. Look at that shit. Are you surprised? Am I surprised? No, it's it's getting it's gotten huge huge good response. Mm -hmm. It's gotten blah 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 blah. I think the game's okay. <laughs> I don't. We don't need to go back to that uh, impression over and over. I did beat the full. I don't know if I talked about it. I did beat the full game since we last spoke on it, and it was cool. Yeah, I actually don't think you came back to it. I don't think I came. I don't think I came no, back. No, because you beat it before our last episode, but you never mentioned it. Okay, wow. Yeah, I just you know quietly beat it and then moved on to like Sekiro. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, you're like it was fine. I got uh, the Dante stuff. Did it open up for you at all? Mm, it was fine. Okay. It was a little more fun <laughs> to play as Dante. I'll admit that. Okay. But um, otherwise, like yeah, it was good. It was a good game. So what's with the cowboy dance? Um, it's a, it's an item that you get, okay. apparently. It's a, it's a projectile thing, and it happens to have a big old scarf and a cowboy hat. Wow. Yeah. That's weird. 
You hear some weird stuff uh, about Ruben Langdon talking about the Me Too movement and shit? Oh, I you did. That? I did. He was just like, oh, this fucking Me Too shit. Uh, anybody can get in trouble for anything. And it's like, he, yeah, no. I know it was kind of taken a little bit out of context, but he basically still kind of said that. He still pretty much said um, that. Well, funny. I'm not surprised. Uh, the past few months, the past actually full calendar year between yeah. last january and this january even maybe resident evil 7 like capcom's in full swing they're back at it their games are selling this is great this is great news yeah it's good news for capcom and i i, I want a new age of of capcom just conquest really mm-hmm. you know i want to see a new lost planet i want to see a new uh cannon spike cannon spike okay yeah it's dreamcast okay oh interesting yeah. i mean we, we always talk about power stone too power stone in it's general new power stone yeah and then dino, dino crisis brings back dino <laughs> crisis <laughs> like come on guys what the hell we woke up our producer clementine i'm sorry about that do you, do you know where um do you know where resident evil 2 is sitting currently for up to date like full um uh sales? i thought they hit four million four million already I, well actually three million was the last uh that i heard okay. i don't i don't know if they hit four million but apparently like 4.5 million was uh life to date sales for the original game oh, original wow. resident evil 2 wow. for its entire lifespan so it's getting up there really fucking impressive capcom you're doing all the right things and i'll buy every single one of your games please do you're good even the ones i'm just like fine with like dmc5 i was fine with it hey capcom you listening make another zelda game hey capcom i love Anyway, that's the Capcom captain. Speaking of Zelda, we got a number three on here. Mm. Monolith Soft is hiring for a new yet-to-be-detailed Zelda project. Monolith Studios, the developer behind Xenosaga and Xenoblade, put out a hiring post on their website earlier this week calling for programmers, designers, and technical artists. The game, a yet-to-be-detailed Zelda project. Mm. The posting was translated by GamesIndustry.biz contributor Ishan Sadev and also revealed that they're working on one other production in addition to the Zelda project. Monolith is no stranger to the world of Zelda, as their Kyoto-based studio helped co-develop 2011 Skyward Sword with Nintendo. They were later hired to do environmental work and landscape designs for 2017's Breath of the Wild. There's no word yet if this title will be a sequel to Breath of the Wild, but given Monolith's work on Breath of the Wild, it's a possibility that they will be crafting a brand new open-world experience for players. Okay. 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 Monolith, they helped out back in back in the day. Mm-hmm. Made the best uh, Zelda, Skyward Sword. I think all fans agree with that one. I think every fan in this room I would agree th- with I that. I think every fan. What if they're just like uh, doing doing the remake of, uh, or the remastering of Skyward Sword? That'd be neat. I actually right? hadn't considered that, but that yeah. would be really, really cool. Yeah. Or, I, I don't know, we, we have no idea what they're doing. No. And they sound like a support studio to Nintendo's uh, big boy efforts. Yeah, on, they, they basically Zelda? needed like um, level assets and level design work for Skyward Sword. Okay. So they came in and did some of that stuff. And then with... Uh, Breath of the Wild, the scale of that was so big. Like, the development cycle and process for that was so complicated for uh, Miyamoto and his team. It really wasn't until, like, they started playing Skyrim and looking at the design philosophy for that that they're like, okay, we need to scale a little bigger. We need another team in here. Let's get these guys. Let's let's get them to help right, us out. Right, they, they got Monolith to come in, and they just use a Skyrim mod yeah. to just build all of Breath of the Wild on. It, yeah. yeah, it's pretty wild. The Khajiit, yeah. they're everywhere, man. It's crazy. I was wondering about the, the dragons that, like, don't flap their wings coming at me. It's crazy. <laughs> but this is cool. We were talking about it. Uh, Monolith hasn't, I guess, single-handedly done any full Zelda project. Nintendo typically doesn't lend out their IP like that. They did it with Capcom, with Oracle of Season, and Oracle of Ages. And they kind of did it with Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, that's why I'm like, that's yeah. like they're okay with the spinoffs, but I've never seen Nintendo just go like, here's a mainline. 
You know, here here's a mainline addition to the series. It's not like they're going to give Super Mario, you know, whatever the sequel to Odyssey is, sure. to Namco Bandai. No. But yeah. I've never seen them Bandai so Namco? exclusively work with a partner studio across yeah. their titles, because most of them are Nintendo incubated, like, through and through. Like, the N64 ones, the ones on the SNES, like, GameCube. Maybe Wii. they all went to college yeah. together. Maybe but, they drank at the same bar. Maybe. So, yeah. Monolith coming in, like, if they were going to give any good, like, a studio full faith to do, a, like, a mainline title, mm-hmm. it would be them. But I feel like it, like, that's not what they're working on. I, I think for yeah. Breath of the Wild, it's kind of unbelievable to have two different development studios mm-hmm. not have one person say that a uh, breakable weapon sucks. Yes. <laughs> what, who the who the fuck? Somebody, definitely an ex-Dead De- Rising dev was in that room. I, let me tell you what. Okay? And they fucked it up. They did? They fucked it up. <laughs> what the fuck? Sorry. Sorry. That's some, that's some old wounds right He's there. He's getting hurt we over Dead Rising. About, can't talk about that in all their timed events. Can't talk about Bee of the Wild without opening up some shit, man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are you excited? What do you want them to be working uh, on? I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. It would be cool if they were working on maybe like a, a spin-off series. I don't know okay. how. Um, I guess in the, in the vein of like uh, Majora's Mask to Ocarina of Time, maybe use some of the same assets, maybe the same world design, and just do something different in that world. Not like a Breath a... of the Wild spinoff. Yeah, wow. Yeah, maybe starring some characters in there. This guy, you sound like typical gamer, yeah. bro. We give you the biggest Zelda of all time, and you're like, I want more of this Zelda. <sighs> My thing is, like, I think given their pedigree for open world and yeah. environmental work, it's we're gonna get some sort of scaled open world game. You were like, what if they just give us, like, turn-based muck? And I'm like, I don't know, like, turn-based muck? <laughs> like, I was like, Xenoblade, <laughs> yeah, sure. Like me. <laughs> they, they were, you know, that's an open world game, but there's turn-based elements, so, like, okay. I can see them fucking with maybe the uh, battle system and combat a little bit, but I don't think it's as likely as, as that. Zelda fighting game. Zelda fighting game? Yeah, it's a Zelda fighting game. Who who did Hyrule Warriors? Was that uh Um that was uh Oh, you're gonna kill is me. Is that Namco Bandai? One. No. No, it's not Namco Bandai. It is uh Koei Studios. Mm. Let me look it up. I'm looking it He's up. He's looking it up. Because I want to be right about my information. Thank you, Wikipedia, for the truth. Omega Force, who traditionally does Dynasty Warriors, worked on it okay. with Team Ninja. Okay. Yeah, Team, Team Ninja was a good, a good choice right there. Hell yeah. Yeah, but Team Ninja, didn't they also bring us Metroid Other M? They did. Your favorite Metroid? Everybody's favorite Metroid. Listen, they've, they've given us some uh, plunkers here and there, but they're still a capable studio. Plunk. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, I got a number four on here for you. Give it to me. Wolfenstein, Young Blood's release date, and Buddy Pass have been revealed. Yes. Uh, I got this from GameSpot. Oscar Deus wrote this shit. Bethesda has announced that Wolfenstein, the new Colossus standalone expansion, Youngblood, is releasing July 26, marked calendar, developed by Machine Games, a studio behind Wolfenstein since the New Order released in 2014. Youngblood is a co-op follow-up starring the twin daughters of B.J. Blazkowicz, Jess and Soph. Yeah. As they gun their way through a Nazi-occupied Paris set in an alt-history version of the 1980s. Youngblood will have a $30 standard edition, but the $40 deluxe edition nets you the Buddy Pass. The Buddy Pass lets you invite a friend to download the game to play co-op with you at no extra cost. I told you that no extra cost was going to come back. The Buddy Pass can be shared with multiple friends, but only one friend can play at a time, and they can only play the game using the pass when they play with you. Fuck you. You said you were going to get the $40 edition to play with me. I'm going to get my own game. Thank you very much. Okay. What if I want to play offline, son? 
That's okay. That's a good point. Well, that, that's a good this, point. We don't have the same schedule. No, we really, really don't. I gotta be like, I gotta wait for my buddy Daniel to come home to play some fucking Young Bloods. Honestly, I already assumed Young Blood was gonna come out at forty dollars. So to yeah. have a variable flex of, of ten dollars between a standard and a copy that I can maybe share with my friend who wouldn't otherwise buy this, why wouldn't I get the forty dollar one? I'm, I'm, I want to kill Nazis with my friends. I do. This is the best <laughs> thing about video games. We've been killing Nazis since like the 80s in video games. It's it's tried and true, man. It's very true. the signature. I, I'm super duper hyped for this. When they announced it... Uh, oh, it looks so good. At their Bethesda conference at E3, B3 2018, rather. Oh, Todd. Uh, oh, Todd. Back when we still loved you. Um, it was <laughs> we cool. We still love Todd. It was super hype. I was like, look, these twins, these twins I forgot about. Yeah, <laughs> they were happy. That's right. Um, apparently, they're looking for their dad in like like a, a blood-soaked Paris. That's pretty Yeah, neat. yeah, he's missing now. Yeah. I think that's fucking cool. They did some uh, some gameplay shit, and they showed some of the dialogue and some of the cinematics, and I'm like, cool, it looks like more of the same. Same in that kind of, that tongue-in-cheek writing. Yeah, dude, New Colossus is amazing. New Colossus is great, but I'm going to say I this. I said amazing. I'm so sorry, Machine Games. What? The level design in that game was pretty trash. Really? There were some levels in New Colossus that were just straight out bad. Wow. One of the first levels, you're, it's like a, like an apartment complex. It's it's bad. You get lost in it. Okay, I feel like I'm I, playing an old PC yeah, game. Yeah, I do remember the apartment complex yeah. being a little convoluted. But it had but cool missions. It like it really moves I, at a clip. Yeah, I think it's got a great story. Oh, I think yeah. it's I think it's got some gate. Uh, sorry, I think it's got some great fucking gameplay moments to it. I can't wait. The Young Bloods, the whole '80s theme. It looks mm. amazing. Uh, I I just like the style leaking from this. I fuck yeah. I do too. Like that. That's one of the the best picks under Bethesda's like publisher publishing like kind of imprint. I feel like they make great publishing decisions. Like it was oh, great yeah, we to always work with Arcane. It. it was great to work with Machine Games on this one. And Id with Doom. And pff, Id with Doom. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. It's so good. They just, you know, need to fix their own fucking game. I I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm stoked for this. I hope the levels are cooler and I hope yep. that there are even bigger wow moments because Wolfenstein 2 had so many wow moments like from the that's very true. beginning. Like you're killing Nazis in a wheelchair. Uh, that's true. You get beheaded at some point. It's wild. It's wild. It's true. All these things are true. This game's so fucking <laughs> I want to replay it right now. I really do. Fuck yeah. Fuck, let's do it right now. Cancel the podcast. Okay. Cancel the podcast. Listen, we gotta go. It's over. I gotta get my platinum in Wolfenstein too. Ooh. I was working on it. Reclose? Uh I was sixty percent of the way through. The thing is, like, I was That's getting D. I was getting held up with some of the difficulty ones because okay. it wants you to beat it on every difficulty. Nah. And there's one where you can't even get hit at all. Oh really? It's like, it's kind of like hardcore mode from Dead Space. 2. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, it sucks. That that'd be an interesting thing to figure out because I get hit all the time in that game. I do too. Weird. It's impossible not to. <laughs> Nazi too. Maybe you like that. Anyway, yeah. number five on here, Daniel. Hmm. Sony's first state of play came and, and and went. I did not see that coming. It was. Uh, we'll get into it in a second. Here's hmm. what happened though. Hmm. On March 25th, Sony held the first of what they promised to be a series of direct style videos called State of Play. Many fans expected to see huge announcements and official dates for hotly anticipated titles. What they got was basically 20 minutes of PSVR announcements. <sighs> it was kind of boring, dude. I got to tell you, I watched it and I was like, I like the format. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, I think they should continue to do this. Sure. But as coming out of the gate as the first one of these, it was dull. I agree with Michaela. Her her sentiment. She works from at Obelisk. From Obelisk, she writes yeah. uh, good stuff over at Obelisk. She was saying they should service it more like how they do with like the Nindy Directs, where it's like have these kind of sister video directs, like for VR, because like VR isn't for everybody. I understand that like they have to really support that. They put a lot of money into that, and like over yeah. the past like. 
what it launched in 2017, maybe late 2016. I'm sure it hasn't done as well as they wanted it to. They're, I remember them saying that it's it sells pretty decently, mm-hmm. but like I don't I don't give a shit about VR. No, I don't either. And it was so top loaded with that stuff. And I know that <sighs> it has its fans. I know Greg Miller was popping a boner for it, but like I know it, it's I know. not for us. I feel like a lot of the shit that they announced could have just been saved for the PlayStation blog itself. It it felt like a video version of the PlayStation blog, and I think mm-hmm. people were expecting that kind of big Nintendo Direct style, where they like you know they each announcement is more hype than the last, and then they end on a big boy. You know that didn't happen here. I think what they did towards the middle, they did a sizzle reel of like a bunch of VR things, and I feel like they could have yeah. condensed it a little more and done even more of them. Because yeah. like sure, um, we're gonna talk about it. The, the Iron Man one was pretty cool. There were some showcases that really showed off interesting VR capabilities, but I feel like they didn't need to highlight everything. No, they really didn't. Um, but, but here are the highlights, by the way. So yeah, as you mentioned, Iron Man VR is coming to PS4 later this year. You fly around as Iron Man, blasting other pieces of iron out of the sky. It didn't look that good. I'm gonna say uh, that. It, no, it didn't it, look that great. It did not. It look, looked fun. Um, it, it looked like something that should be at a Disney park to try for free, but mm. not like a retail product. And yeah. that, that's the thing about VR. A lot of these are just like, yeah, this is an idea, not really like a full-fledged game you know like Like they're just experiences exactly little video gaming morsels i've i've heard there are some great examples of vr i hear astrobot's really great beat saber's supposed to be incredible oh yeah beat saber is in a class um and then what's the one with the the mouse moss like people love moss based off the book (laughs) i don't know Really? That's interesting. Anyway, yeah. I didn't hear about that one. But uh, more announcements on here. We got Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled is coming uh, June 21st mm. and will include PS1 era character skins. I never fucking played that. Oh, you weren't a CTR fan? I didn't play any Crash game. Uh, really? Yeah. Interesting. That's how I live. Well, it's cool. I guess I'll mad. play it this time. I don't know. I don't, know, I don't even want to play the rematch. I don't care. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I don't have that much time. Anyway, No Man's Sky is getting PSVR support as a free update this summer, and they're doing another retail release or of No Man's Sky for mm-hmm. the Beyond uh, cool. edition of it. This is neat. I yeah. like to see that. Um... It seems like a VR-ass game, actually, now that you think about it, right? Yeah, I like that Hello Games and Sean Murray are still out there trying to support this thing. It had a Sean. massive tumultuous launch but like they yeah. really picked it back up in like the last six months to a year with like i think it has hey, a we, turnaround story. we have this yeah. cool multiplayer experience we're doing more to it now there's vr support like that world would be very cool to experience in vr because it's kind of like a it's a space simulator it, yeah exactly <laughs> it is like and i feel like vr would make more sense yeah. because like when you play it just as is it's like eh, it's a lot of walking around mm-hmm. and doing some minecrafty shit yeah i don't know if that experience like if you gave me a vr headset i'd be like oh no i'm fine with this because at least i you know i'm in it so eh, well we'll see i i hear that no man's sky is at a degree where it's interesting mm-hmm. and the co or sorry the multiplayer components there great story guys I'm probably not going to go back to it ever. I never owned it in the first place, but I hear the people who I you really... bought it at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I bought it super cheap, and then I traded it back in. Yeah, we did. Wow, I forgot. Trading hands. But I've heard a lot of industry types who played it initially and then played it again this past summer, and they loved it. Yep. They fucking loved it. Yeah, okay. So. Hey, love it, love it, love it. Five Nights at Freddy's VR Help Wanted is coming to PSVR next month. You going to pick it up? Hard you no. You get this? Okay, Hard cool. no. Concrete Genie. I oh, might pick this up. <laughs> Concrete Genie, a brand new PS4 exclusive, was announced for the fall, and yes, it will also feature PSVR support. This looks dope. This was like the one announcement where it was like, oh, finally, we're out of fucking uh, VR land. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, they, they get that one gotcha of, oh, and by the way, that's... we're going to be making in PSVR support. I'm like, fuck you. Come on. That's fine. 
fine. I don't Sony know. Sony games, son. I, I get that they want to have it as an add-on thing because, again, it's something they want to support and if the game can, cool. The, there was a bunch of other VR fucking knockoff games and I'm like, eh, whatever. Um, VR knockoff games. Yeah. Uh, well, there was one, Roiland Saves the World or Roiland Saves the Universe by Squanch okay. Games. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot yeah. the name of that one. Um, Trover. Trover Saves the Universe, that one. Cool. Um, it looks cool. It looks fun. It had that sort of Squanch Games uh, humor to it. Did they do other games so far? Squanch? They've d- they did Job Simulator. Oh, did they really? Yeah. Okay, so, I heard that was dope. Yeah, if you guys don't know, that's Justin Roiland. He is one of the writers and creators of Rick and Morty. That's kind of his studio that he's got. I love Rick and Morty. Uh-huh. That's the height of humor. Uh-huh. Szechuan sauce. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Fucking uh-huh. nerds. Hey, I got a brand new story trailer for Mortal Kombat 11 was shown featuring timeline crossing fights between classic characters. That was a hype-ass trailer, This actually. is actually the coolest Mortal Kombat trailer we've seen yet. Oh my god, I love that it's like this generational thing where it's young versions of the characters mm-hmm. fighting along side or just straight out fighting older versions of the characters oh it was, it was great yeah. you know how i was bitching about how like i don't always like fighting game trailers because it's just here's another technical display here's another character right. reveal this was really really cool because it shows you like how the characters interact it shows you that sort of um what's that game called injustice styling where they're interacting and then a fight happens so seamlessly in between like yeah, the yeah which beats. was which was first uh started in uh mortal, M- mortal Com- combat 9 yeah mk9 Actually, technically, Mortal Kombat versus DC uh, Universe. Oh, really? They did that first there? Was it DC Universe? It was yeah. DC something. I think it was just DC. Yeah, that happened. That game sucked. It, it did the whole story thing, which made it kind of interesting. But I I don't need another reason to fucking get this game. No, this, this, this game. just hyped me up more. It, it had like some cool hip-hop music, and they were just no. beating down. Oh, my God. Shit. I can't There's wait. There's 90s references. I love that it's so like just self-referential and like understands. It's, oh, it's so good. Ed anyway. Boon gets it. I got the last thing on here was uh, this was their big one apparently. Mm-hmm. Days Gone got another trailer ahead of its April twenty sixth launch, depicting the same bland apocalypse and motorcycle adoration we've seen before. Um, that that was the thing I, I talked to you about it like mm-hmm. a week ago. This is why this game's not hitting. I know apparently it's like technically impressive, and people who've gotten their hands on it say it plays well, mm-hmm. but it, it has no style. It just, it's boring. No, it, it very much just kind of looks like boilerplate AAA game, you know? Like, yeah. it, it is what it is with that. But this trailer hit me for different reasons. They didn't show us nearly as many Freakers or any crazy, like, gameplay I need a lot of Freakers. It, it was literally the reason I like these zombie survival post-apocalyptic games. It was about the human element. You yeah. see um, Deacon interacting more with, like, his group. You see his girlfriend a little more, or his fiance or whatever she is. Maybe it's his wife. I don't know. Um, and you see him interacting with his, his, his gang and how they're dealing with the whole aftermath of all. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I'm glad that you found something that was interesting yeah. in this trailer. <laughs> no, I did. I did. I really did. I'm just not interested. Is it going to push me to get it at launch? No, I'm still going to wait on it. But I'm like, going to wait for those reviews to spill out, baby. I'm not going to get mm-hmm. that day one. I don't know. I think it'll probably, I'll call it now, Metacritic of like maybe 7.5 to 7. 8. 7.5? 7.5 call to it 8. right now. Yeah, I'll say Okay. It. All We're right. a month out. We got Meta Dan over here making his uh, meta predictions. Meta Daniel, that's what they we'll call see. me. All right, all right. You got a, you got something on here for me? I, I want to say this is an interesting testing ground for Sony and their conferences. State of play. It was an interesting idea. I just want to see what they're going to do with it in the future because this mm. it could have been big and it was just kind of mm. it was kind of in yeah right out of the door. But hey, you know. Maybe. Maybe that's the thing where they're saving it for middle of the year. Actually, we're going to keep on saying things like they're saving it. I feel like they're going to drip feed like one really good announcement mm-hmm. per video and that's about it. And then trying to keep on getting that mind share. And it's like, all right, man, be a little careful with that. Because mm-hmm. I feel like Nintendo really does space out their directs in kind of an adequate manner. Not not counting the 14 fucking Smash directs that they did. Yeah, there were a lot of them. It was like one every yeah. month. 
You know, I, I like how it's like, hey, we're doing a Nindies one. And then it's like, hey, you might get a big one like every uh, three months, something like that. Yeah. I, I like doing that. If they did this alternation, like I was saying, do a VR showcase, five, ten minutes, boom, mm-hmm. roll over the PlayStation blog. And then like every two, three months, do that bigger one. Because like this one was missing those big Sony oomph moments for me. I, I wanted more of Control. Make I wanted something of Ghost of Tsushima. I forgot they showed a little Control, didn't they? Uh, No, not that. Oh, wait, they, they didn't? They talked, they revealed more gameplay trailer, but I think it was through remedy or was it was somewhere else man yeah man but yeah see show me some good shit seeing more of that game though got me hyped for it i'm like cool i can't wait to get my hands on this i feel like a, a dropped ball for sony did not mention more about that even sure i know last of us part two is a way away and what else are you gonna say about death stranding but those games that are more imminent let's talk about them you know yeah, exactly so but i got another one on here for sony um sony has announced their two free games for april 2019 fuck yeah dude yeah, dude. Oh, they took away two games from us and not giving us any games that I like. What do you mean? Aww. What are they? What are they doing this month? Uh, this month. April's my birthday month. They got to be doing something real special for Kevin. Well, they got something that's right up your alley. You like that Soulsborne, Kevin? Do you like that shit? You like it, my boy? Yeah. They're gonna do it. They're gonna. Yeah, give I it like to those. You. I guess. So coming to PS4 in April, PS Plus users can download The Surge and Conan Exiles. Oh. Got these descriptions here from the PlayStation <laughs> blog. Uh, the oh, Surge oh, okay. coming from Deck 13. Welcome to CREO, the mega corporation saving our world. A catastrophic event has knocked you out during the first day on the job. You wake up equipped with a heavy-grade exoskeleton in a destroyed section of the complex. Robots gone haywire. Insane augmented co-workers and rogue AI. Everything wants you dead. I could recommend it for free. You've played this game, right? You bought it for, what, five, like ten, ten bucks? bucks? Ten bucks, yeah. okay. No, it's interesting because it has, again, yes, it is a Soulsborne title, but it, it's like Elysium mixed with Soulsborne mm-hmm. and a little bit of Prey's story. And there is story. And the story is kind of interesting in this game. I think some of the combat's really clunky, though. Okay. It's not as... We, we were saying, precise. like, when I was playing Sekiro, you're like, you're going to have trouble going from Sekiro to this game. Because yeah. the, the combat systems are a little... They're a little more wonky. They're a little know? wonky. But they, don't, they don't mesh too well there. I remember you writing a high about this game when you first downloaded it. You're like, yeah, we talked about it months ago. And you're like, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I, I did enjoy <laughs> it. I did. And part two is uh, coming out this year. Oh, dope. Dope, yeah, dope, yeah, dope. Yeah. Um, what else has Deck 13 done? Uh, they did Lords of the Fallen, which was... A, they actually do a oh, lot wow. of, like, Soulsborne-y games. Like, action RPG-type games. Mm-hmm, exactly. I actually have Lords of the Fallen. It was free it was like, awesome a year free. or so ago. Deck 13 <laughs> is known for making these free deals on PS Plus. So, interesting, you know, interesting. One day you'll get Surge 2 for free, probably. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah. Other one on here, we got Conan Exiles coming from Funcom. Conan Exiles is an open-world survival game set in the brutal lands Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Survive in a savage world. Build your kingdom and dominate your enemies in brutal combat and epic warfare. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll is, look at a trailer. Is this the one that was MMO-esque? Is that the one? I think so, yeah. Really? I don't want that. Or, oh, wait, 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 wait. Was this the one where you had a dong slider? There was a dong slider? Yeah, dude. One of the Conan games had a fucking dong slider. <laughs> we need to get this. We need dong. I need custom presets for my dongs. I need to stream some dongs. <laughs> Yo. Oh, my God. Yeah, these, these are some games here. Um, it's It sucks because, like, they took away the ps3 and ps vita free downloads uh last month okay and i feel like we haven't seen any like equivalent exchange i haven't seen any titles that are like really really like worth a free grabbing. psvr yeah or anything like that month. um last month well uh, that reminds me actually i still got to download the witness because that was one of the march free games but like oh was it i didn't i didn't redeem it yeah it's that's kind of it Oops. though i'm just like oh okay where are your big moments like ps plus free games they've they've had some really great stuff in the past 
You're saying uh, the king is resting on his laurels, huh? I'm saying for the same $60 we've been paying for a few years, we're losing on our value in terms of that. But oh, like, shit, Yeah, dude. I think the discounts are still there, though. Yo, you're going to scare some market analysts, man. Sorry. You scared the... You're giving them palpitations. <laughs> I'm very, very, very How sorry. How dare you? Yeah. You want to keep on talking about business? Sure. Here the fuck we go. We got some bad news. Number seven is EA is laying off 350 global employees. Um, a lot of this comes from The Verge, which uh, John Porter read it, wrote it. So go ahead and jump onto The Verge. Give it a click. Uh, John Porter writes, quote, EA has confirmed that it's laying off 350 of its 9,000 employees globally and a round of redundancies focused mainly on its marketing and publishing departments, end quote. So in February, Activision made a similar shitty move when it laid off nearly 800 workers across non-development divisions of its company. Very similar here. So we're getting a lot of fucking layoffs at the beginning of 2019. It's not a good year for the industry currently. Well, you, okay. Telltale. Capcom yeah. Vancouver. Activision, EA, what is happening? Very recently, what yeah, we're seeing a lot of layoffs, a lot right of closures, now. a lot of shit. It, it, <sighs> I, it's buckling, perhaps. Something's buckling. I, I'm not the right guy to tell you why it's happening, mm -hmm. but I do think that a lot of it has to do with publishers investing in shit that they think is a golden goose mm -hmm. and not really understanding that maybe players aren't there for that. Or we have sure. one shining example of something that not everyone should bandwagon on top of, you know? Service models and stuff uh -huh, like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think Anthem is kind of an example of that, where it's like EA was really, really banking on that game mm -hmm. and was suddenly surprised by the free game that they released, Apex Legends, and go like, oh shit. <laughs> We should have been supporting this one. This was a golden goose. So it's a lot of, I think, maybe the publishers just being wrong about their fucking leadership decisions. Well, it's you know? shocking to me that, like, EA is probably rolling with money right now for how well Apex Legends is doing. It's It seems like there's this weird correlation there. It's like, why would you... This game is doing... It's a runaway success, like 50 million concurrent players, but you're mm -hmm. laying off 300 people? What what happens? It's, it's a good question. So uh, <laughs> EA also confirmed that it's going to ramp down their presence in Japan and Russia. On this week's edition of A Rich Prick Explains Why Firing People is a Good Thing, we have CEO Andrew Wilson and his statement on EA's website. Here's a quote, Daniel. Try not to barf. Today, we took some important steps as a company to address our challenges and prepare for the opportunities ahead. As we look across a changing world around us, it's clear that we must change with it. We're making deliberate moves to better deliver on our commitments, refine our organization, and meet the needs of our players, end quote. Sure, he's no Bobby Kotek, but it's still a bullshit blanket statement. Yo, dude, like, <laughs> come come the fuck on. Like I'm saying, it's it's just, it's, how do you, how do you try to roll in, like, layoffs as, like, this is a good thing for our company? Mm -hmm. Like, fuck off with that. I hate that. Anyway, so that's why I'm always uh, going to put a CEO on blast on segments like this. No, you're okay? always going to roll on corporations oh, yeah. and call it CEOs. Oh, yeah, I'm going to call you out. <laughs> so, in reference to the 350 employees being let go, Wilson added, quote we appreciate and value everyone's contributions and we are doing everything we can to ensure we are looking after our people to help them through this period to find their next opportunity this is our top priority end quote well silver lining huh now daniel 350 that's a really interesting number um hey i actually have some more interesting numbers well, sure. According to Salary.com, which assesses compensation information based on publicly traded companies' proxy statements, after you factor Andrew Wilson's base pay, comp bonus, and stock awards, he makes about $35,728,764 a year. 
I'm not saying anything. I just thought uh, that's an interesting uh, fact. I just want to put that out there. Let me crunch some numbers real quick. Mm, oh, sure. Okay. 350 people, right? Mm-hmm. Say you on average pay them $60,000 a year, rolling uh-huh. benefits, rolling all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sure. That's $21 million. But okay. you're not paying that out of your own personal pocket. That's revenue your yeah, company is yeah. generating. That's a lot of people to just be intriguing. in Just some, yeah. some intriguing things. Now, I only mention because I feel like I don't hear any stories about a company saying we really tried to figure out how to keep these workers on and still optimize our business. Mm-hmm. What I hear instead is necessary layoffs in order to meet our vision or meet or best yet when they put it on the players when it's just like in order to deliver high quality to consumers the way they demand it. We're going to fucking displace 350 people. It just it never comes across right. You it know? almost like seems like they're hoping people don't like the consumer doesn't pay attention to the people behind the scenes because your average consumer doesn't know a development studio's name. They don't know the amount of people that are on the team. They're not thinking about that. It's it hits hard amongst the people like us mm-hmm. who know the community and and know the sort of effect it has because we follow these people. We see the sort of like personal turmoil it creates. People's livelihood and jobs are just suddenly they're vanishing. It's up in the air. Their whole livelihood is just at risk now because of this. I, I won't even fault uh, what you know what you call an average consumer for not knowing like the ins and outs of what's going on, but they they can at least understand the impact of three hundred and fifty jobs are gone. I mean, you can understand <laughs> that across any industry, like on any industry. Yeah. And one thing to point out is that these people likely weren't protected. EA says that they're going to try to go out of their way to make sure that they land on their feet, mm-hmm. but you know that's kind of what a union does. Weird how that just keeps on coming back into the conversation, you know. And again, moves like this, and especially this year, 2019 in specific, just show the masses and perspective uh, game developers how volatile this industry Mm -hmm. is. I say it every fucking episode now. It's a volatile industry with no security. How is that an attractive prospect? Electronic Arts, Activision, when you make moves like this, Mm -hmm. you are industry leaders, you are at the top of the industry. You make the most. You have the most visibility. You have a lot of fucking IP. That means a lot to a lot of people, including the people that are making it. You are a living example. So when you do these huge fucking just swaths of firing people mm-hmm. and saying it's for the betterment, that get, that's going to get noticed. You're, you are sending the example that, fuck, we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't. Maybe we should go to Google and help them the streaming thing to go take down these fuckers because look what they do. it's an unsafe environment for people as an industry leader kids out of college probably want to work for these companies and they're setting a really really poor example you look at companies like ubisoft and sega i think ubisoft i might be wrong on this let us know at saveroom.com slash you're wrong or at the reddit hey hey, this is a safe place but i don't recall ubisoft ever having massive layoffs like this or sega even on twitter they're like yeah we don't lay off our employees like that we take care of our own we take care of our people here <laughs> i think that was different in 1999 but, but for I, sure I, I feel <laughs> i feel you and this doesn't include all the displaced workers who might have been on contract who definitely get less than the people who were salary or mm-hmm. had company benefits mm-hmm. so it's just much harder to land on your feet yes on that way yeah. i don't know it's a it's a terrible terrible situation i'm hoping much like with telltale and capcom yeah. vancouver and visceral and all these other studios that we've seen close that's these people are getting in their outreach and they're finding work elsewhere. Or maybe, you know, they're landing their feet somewhere else. Because I know after this, a lot of people kind of like, they disavow the industry. They're like, I don't want to work in games yeah, anymore. Exactly. You I know? feel like with every fucking major layoff, you have more and more talented 
and passionate people leaving the industry because they just can't do it anymore. They can't put up with like, it. How can you not be disheartened by it all? Yeah. When are we gonna <laughs> kick out like the next Hideo? You know, when are we gonna when are we gonna get, when are we gonna kick out the next Ken Levine? When are we gonna do that mm -hmm. from just a routine betterment layoff? Like fuck. We, the fuck we off. don't see things like that necessarily. We see them becoming like you know VPs or like CEOs of company eventually. Mm -hmm. You know. I don't know what you know. But here's what I know. This is a save room promise. Every time you hear that a giant corporation has laid off a huge number of employees, I will announce how much the CEO makes. <laughs> wow. I like That's it. All. I like it. Is that going to be a sub-segment yeah, amongst sure. every I'm not layout? saying anything. I'm just saying it's an interesting fact. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying he should have done anything. I'm, not, I'm just saying... I'm going to call that out. <laughs> I mean, at least in the situation we didn't see EA, like Activision, paying off and giving bonuses to newly appointed uh, chairman and CEOs of their company. It's a little different. But I thought they did do that. That's a lot of money still. It's a lot of money. $35 million? Mm -hmm. You should be ashamed of yourself. Oh. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Fucking Andrew Wilson, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> For making that much money? Having that much money? or uh... For having that much money and being negligent with the people that helped you make it. Mm. These are people that helped you build your studio, build you, mm -hmm. your line of work. These are potential people who worked on Anthem, who worked on Apex. These properties still made money. I'm sorry that Anthem probably sold a few million less than you wanted to, but that game still sold. Right. It was still successful. I feel you. But I'm going to talk about upcoming game. Made mm -hmm. a lot of gamers happy at PAX East. This past PAX East, because by the time this episode comes out, uh, it'll be over. And we'll be on to another PAX. We'll, we'll be, be on to PAX, another PAX. Midwestern America. Yeah, when one when one PAX fever subsides, another stands up to take its place. And they're going to have one in every state. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Number eight on here is Gearbox has officially announced Borderlands 3. Yo! Yo, right? Yo, bro! You Are you, you excited? But they announced it like three times already. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> They've been teasing it for like a fucking two weeks already. Yeah, I think the first official veal, uh, reveal was a cup of coffee that Randy Pitchford actually... Yeah. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> that he tweeted out <laughs> with the number three in the phone. Oh, my God. Anyway. He's so on the nose. Let me, I know. On the first day of PAX East, held in cheery old Boston, Gearbox Software revealed the game they had been working on for the last five years. Borderlands 3! Hmm. The premiere trailer contained lots of new, including new characters, new locations to discover, new enemies like the first female psycho bandit, huh? and new weapons, including a gun that can fucking walk. <laughs> it looks pretty cool. It was actually pretty cool. Yeah. There's plenty of familiar sights too. Fan favorite characters from the first two games, such as Lilith, Maya, Brick, Tiny Tina, who ain't so tiny no more, Mordecai, and Claptrap Woo! return. Even unexpected characters are returning, like Reese from the Telltale spinoff Tales from the Borderlands. That's fucking hype. That's dude. really, really cool. That's because really fucking cool. This is the first time uh, that game has ever been referenced in, in the, a mainline yeah, in, in a mainline main yeah, uh, title. I mean, it's cool we're seeing spillover from Borderlands 1, Borderlands yep. 2, the pre-sequel, yep. this. So it's, I don't know, I love that the universe is all contained here and all these characters that we love because i wondered if if reese and fiona were going to come back i kind of assumed they wouldn't unless we I got a tales so. part two yeah but i heard that it was like the most underperforming or one of the most underperforming telltale games despite being the highest reviewed yeah it, it was unfortunately but i gamers, always say that's one of my favorite telltale gamers, that's games. a fucking crime for you to allow that to happen you should go to gamer jail gamers dude anyway. it had some of the best borderlands moments it had the best story in borderlands like bar none i have to say that mm -hmm. better than two Better than one. Well, everything. That's fair. One, I mean, so. two gets really great towards the the latter acts. For no, sure. of course, of course. I'm just saying, Telltale throughout was consistently good. I'll give you that. I was like, fuck. By I'll the time you get to episode four, oh, 
Oh, dude, I was, like, tearing up in the intro. <laughs> Holy shit. It hurts. Yeah, so I got uh, some other stuff here. Uh, no date and no platforms have been announced for the long-awaited sequel, but publisher 2K Games suggests it'll arrive within the coming fiscal year, which ends in April. Uh, and then sidebar here if you want to spend more money. Uh, Borderlands Game of the Year Edition, just uh, didn't specify which year, uh, is coming to PC, PS4, and Xbox One for $29.99 on April 3rd, so it might actually already be out. Uh, it's a free upgrade for PC, players by the way if you're wondering and it'll include all dlc upgraded character models and textures and a borderlands 2 style mini map that's very cool now i actually wanted to go into <laughs> so gearbox did like a live stream like a live stream event uh for this where they announced a lot of things like mm -hmm. what what gearbox publishing is up to like yeah. uh, risk of rain 2 which actually looks pretty neat is actually on uh, steam early access currently mm -hmm. apparently the original was like what a side scroller and now this one is like a 3d game it's interesting, interesting. Um, they also did more for uh we happy few games we happy few. publishing i think i don't know if yeah. it was an extra story content or an extra mission or something but they're trying to expand that universe a little bit more so um, that's cool i don't remember that game being very well received there's fucking bullet storm the duke of the nuke the, what, what is it switch of the duke so switch bullet storm duke. from people can fly a game that people should have forgotten about <laughs> um, is finally coming to the switch because they needed to do something with this game and it's got duke nukem in it for some reason because i'm because gearbox can't look over its duke nobody nukem ip asked for this no. nobody asked for bullet storm i'm sorry yeah it was kind of cool when it came out like in what 2002 what what the fuck it was it's been a while. It 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 was fine. It was an interesting take on a on a fucking shooter. Like what happened? Like, like what what are we doing with this property? Like either make a sequel or or just just shut up about it. <laughs> right. I, I don't want to hear about Duke of the Switch. <laughs> it's really weird. It's some weird cross branding. Really weird. And man. I don't know if it's gonna land with most people because a lot of people didn't even know about Bulletstorm. You want to talk about fucking weird? That entire fucking live stream was really weird. And there's one person <sighs> to blame for it. Randy pitchford well he was the only one for the entire hour and five minute conference that was allowed to speak <laughs> yeah like, every, everyone had a microphone but it was randy magic hour he had no less than two dozen people on stage and i don't think any of them said a word <laughs> you know this it's so obvious this dude wants to be a magician he even tried to do fucking card tricks on stage uh for darshell from filthy casual which was a weird crossover of my past life <laughs> i've met weird. both of these people <laughs> well he had a son on yeah. stage too he i think his son out to like show this doing new magic Tina tricks with fucking board yeah doing magic <laughs> tricks fucking darshan like okay my dude <laughs> he sure is a magician because for some reason the credibility of gearbox magically dissipates whenever he's fucking on stream it's <laughs> did you not feel the pitchford magic on that stage <laughs> oh i felt it it hurt actually games radar felt it too because they had an article they made called the seven most awkward moments from oh Gearbox my borderlands 3 stream <laughs> i won't read the entire thing but i do want to go through the points that they hit which is it was 15 minutes of publishing announcements yeah that was a bit much for an event where everyone mm -hmm. was there just to see borderlands 3 uh randy pitford trying to explain a tabletop game card by card was really awkward as we mentioned it was weird randy pitford doing one magic trick for 13 minutes was also a lot was of it senses. that long it was a while the whole card trick he asked our shell like hey pick a number and she was like 47 and he was like oh, fuck are you serious and he's she was like yes and he made her in the audience count from one to 47 counted 47 fucking cards in there and then uh, randy pitford stretching for time because they kept on having massive technical difficulties where the trailers weren't playing like game of the year like we didn't really see the trailer work no it stuttered about three yeah. times before they could even get that one going and then it was it was embarrassing and then they had to play the borderlands 3 trailer um 
two and a half times because mm-hmm. the first time was incredibly choppy. Mm-hmm. And then the second time it was still choppy, even after he was assured by PAX officials that it was going to work. Well, the second time he's like, yeah, let's hype this back up. Let's show it again. Let's show this fucking 4K. It's the same choppy shit. (laughs) Yeah. And then he he fucking dishes on PAX's equipment going like, we should have brought our own equipment. And then everyone started booing him. He's like, no, 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 no. It's in 4K. It's a new thing. They do wonderful. (laughs) Like he had the backpedal on stage. It was kind of messed up. Like don't host the stream (laughs) at this event that people like your community loves PAX. People go to PAX every year. You're sitting on the staff you're shitting on their technical capabilities by being like we should have brought our own thing you're letting us down that was one of the points here randy pitchford blaming the pax equipment like (laughs) insane to me okay yeah sure this 4k game this game didn't look like it was in 4k and then the number seven on their list is realizing none of this is going to matter when we finally get to play Borderlands 3. It's true. People are going to be so forgiving. And I kind of want to talk about that because mm-hmm. here here is my general impression from the footage that we saw. It looks like more Borderlands. It looks like part two again. Did you not expect that? I Going into this, did you not expect it to be the same up-res, cell-shaded content they've been giving us now, for years? Let me let me just shout it out there for you kids. As much as uh, I uh, you know make fun of Gearbox, and specifically Randy Pitchford, mm-hmm. I really enjoy Borderlands. I'm a big fan of Borderlands since Part 1 came mm-hmm. out. What I kind of wanted was a reason to get fucking hype. What does Borderlands 3 look like in 2019 was a question that I kept on fucking wondering. Yeah, we talked about it a few times. And especially... in my heart, my heart of hearts, I knew they were just going to do the same shit. Mm-hmm. But I was hoping that it would be like, hey, man, you don't have to mimic Destiny. But wouldn't it be hype as fuck if there was like kind of events that happen on the map where like 10 vault hunters descend upon like, oh, we got to kill like one Rachni? That shit would be super exciting to me. But, like, to know that, it, oh, it's probably going to be kind of the same deal, either solo play or, you know, jump in four-player co-op and then redo the same set of fucking missions across your four characters. It was like, it was a lot of that. Where it's like, oh, dude, it gets kind of repetitive hearing the same cutscenes and the same this and that. Like, shake it up a little bit with live events. I think that would be cool. I didn't expect them to do anything drastically different. We talked about it, like, a few episodes ago. Did we think they were going to go the game as service, live game mm-hmm. approach with live events? Or a battle run. Royale or a battle royale or no there's not going to be a battle royale mode and Randy i don't necessarily want said. that no 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 but like i like to think that uh gearbox doesn't incubate in a bubble i like to think right. that they're smart that they're listening to the the gaming community and the development community around multiplayer four-player games like this and um it's kind of the same thing i we were saying before i don't necessarily think gearbox is a modern day developer i, I really don't like they took a modern day approach with a game like battleborn and it flopped They've taken other approaches here and there, you know, Duke Nukem, Alien Colonial Marines, games like that, but, like, those kind of failed for them. So it's like, okay, what what do we know how to do? What do we know that's safe? Let's do Borderlands the way Borderlands fans want, because Borderlands fans, like, they're an easy please, you know? That's that bread, but, oh, what? They're an easy please, because, like, they know... (laughs) I mean, yeah, The reason we go to to Borderlands is what the the trailer showcased. The -the over-the-top gameplay, the really cool moments, the guns, guns, procedurally generated guns. Millions of guns were promised. And that's... That's awesome. The character yeah. shit looks great. The style yeah. looks cool. The world looks great. That's all they had to do to really sa- like satiate anyway. It helps you forget 10 years of Gearbox mistakes. Mm-hmm. This like, won so many people back with their good faith. It's kind of disappointing because like, I don't know if it speaks to like, hey, the foundation of Borderlands is so good where it's like all you have to do is iterate a little bit. Even the graphics look exactly like fucking Handsome Collection. Mm-hmm. I was like, this does not look no. like any better than the last game that That's came out. That's the thing, like the 4K thing. It's like you see yeah. that in, in 
games that use motion capturing, games that use like state of the art yeah. visual effects, like photogrammetry. Exactly. Like cell shading is so hard to upres in a mm-hmm. way that feels is different. Like, yeah, okay. Like I'm looking at a GameCube game like Okami or Wind Waker. Yeah, that's gonna look different in comparison to like Borderlands Two and the Handsome Collection. But like, it's not gonna look like state of the art or like photorealistic. It's just not. And it's like no, I don't, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. You think I'm sitting here wondering like what a photorealistic? No, Borderlands I'm, I'm like? saying because the graphics room... can be improved because our even with the artistry of like what we, technology we mm-hmm. have, I don't think cell shading is always gonna look like GameCube era. No, I think there's actual genuine like you can do some really playful, cool shit. Uh, and they don't really, they're not really doing that. No, it's almost no. like, it's like, eh, good enough. Looks like part two. That's the thing. The like Randy Pitchford was like, yes, here's this 4k hype. And it looked like the same thing. It's like, they really weren't yeah. moving that medium forward in any way. Yeah. That, that, that's what I'm saying. And here, here's what I love about the fan response. A few sites, including Polygon and GameSpot pointed that out. They're like, yo, the trailer's kind of disappointing. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't really see anything that I would consider like groundbreaking for this series. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, more Borderlands is not a bad thing, but for as many years as we've had since the last genuine Borderlands game, yeah, that's it's kind of like, what did you do? <laughs> I mean, it's been seven years since Borderlands 2. Mm-hmm. Like, you're riding a high wave of expectation there. This trailer, while cool, the starting point of the four Vault Hunters, like, was it went over my head. I was like, wait, you didn't even really leave a good impression of, like, who these main Vault Hunters yeah, are going to be. quick flashes. I wasn't certain who was a playable character and who yeah. wasn't, but, like, yeah. Uh, like, I assume the Sirens hype, the, the rip chick with yeah, the six arms. she's a character. Uh, the guy with the goatee who has, like, a ghost clone, he's mm-hmm. a character. The robo-man and then um, the, the soldier chick yeah. are all characters and i'm like cool but i like, i feel like they really really didn't push them on a way they're like okay well let's kind of show you the world let's show you these cool new areas there's a cool like neo looking city cool situations but it's like i don't know i want to get to know this new cast of characters and you kind of fell that one by the wayside but cool we got reese no to be fair we got vaughn to be fair it is just the we got zero it, it is just a flash in the pan here's the first reveal of it and then mm-hmm. they said on april 4th or 5th that they're going to show more of uh mm-hmm. more of the game some something so I'm, I'm hoping there they're going to be like oh by the way here are the actual mechanics that are mm-hmm. gonna kind of get fans of i honestly about think it. it's not going to be that different no like, the I, mechanics mm-hmm, of borderlands yep. aren't that deep it's like okay you have your gear sets and your guns and your you know subsets of grenades and your mm. perks and your skill tree for your characters but like that's it really like yeah, yeah. it's not like i don't know and maybe that's all the fans want because that's what i'm seeing online they're fucking thrashing polygon and mm. uh GameSpot for even like voicing an opinion that isn't super excited to see tiny <laughs> tina again like come on dude mm. people are allowed to kind of for, first of all that's their fucking job they don't yeah. have to mimic the whole like fan gasms that occur on twitter they don't have to do that because they are sometimes supposed to be a critical lens and go mm. like hey I want a little bit more from what I'm seeing, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. They're looking at it kind of objectively and be like, okay, look, after seven years, this really wasn't anything special. It had cool moments. It spoke to the the fans. Like, I'm sure it perked your interest a little bit. I'm sure it got you kind of hyped to be thinking about being back in the world of Pandora. Yeah, I was just like, hey, it would be cool to revisit uh-huh. that. But I'd also like, you know, in my mind, if you were to ask me what would really excite me about a Borderlands mm-hmm. 3 announcement, one is something with live events maybe more vault hunters than just the four that we're used to like a shared world almost yeah kind of a shared uh, maybe i run into way more different like vault hunters than i would be uh uh, accustomed to in the older games Mm -hmm. and then 
border worlds. I would want to visit other worlds in Pandora because after having like two console generations of being resold fucking Borderlands 2 mm-hmm. and then getting the pre-sequel which was just the same game again and then getting like, you know, all this fucking DLC content that's also Pandora. Mm-hmm. I want to see something that isn't Pandora. I mean, they kind of pitch it as go to other worlds in yeah. this one, but I'm like, no, I think it's legit going to be like the same Borderlands yeah. 2 approach, but bigger. Like you'll get to go to different settings yeah. like Hyperion or stuff, yeah. stuff like that. Ma- Malawan apparently is a big, uh, big bad in this one. Okay. So that's interesting. So I'm but... sure you'll go to like a land that they inhabit. Yeah. I don't know. I agree with you. I do agree with you. In 2019, I want a Borderlands game that like, sure, I don't need the live service feel. I don't need to worry about like how it's, yeah. they're going to keep it alive because Gearbox is good at making games with content, like especially with borderlands like they know how to stuff sure. a game they know how to give sure. us stuff to do um and i wasn't worried about that but like yeah the idea of like larger than life moments like some of the enemies we saw looked really cool i want bigger moments like that that i can get into like live events where it's like okay race to this thing and you'll get like a special level gun or something like yeah, that. that's what i'm saying man <clears throat> that would feel 2019 to me it would <laughs> um i don't know I'm, I'm excited for it i it makes me pine for borderlands 2 all over again where i'm like i want to play zero again i want to play, yeah, as, play zero again. i want to play as um gauge like some of my favorite characters i will say borderlands has the best some of the best sniping that i've had in a bit oh my god i it's love so, sniping in that game oh. zero Zero and Mordecai are some of the dopest snipers. You know what? I'm actually legit considering picking up Borderlands 1. I know I've been harping on Part 3 being the same shit, but Mm -hmm. like, it's been a while since I played Borderlands 1. I haven't played Borderlands 1 since like, I think 2011 or 2012. Like, it was really late stage for that game being out, and then I played Borderlands 2 right after, but it was pretty great. I think, I think we should get the first one, because it's, it's packed with content. Yeah. Uh, You could create and customize your Vault Hunter a little more. Yeah, well, cool. to the degree that they introduce in part two, which yeah, is like, cosmetics oh, I got and the stuff. different cosmetics. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I like that a lot, though. I'm into it, but I need to see more of this. And also, mm-hmm. I just want to point out, Claptrap did not speak in the trailer, because I'm pretty sure David Eddings, who has traditionally played the character, mm-hmm. is not coming back, because now he works at uh, Rooster Teeth Publishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, they they had like a trailer for Borderlands VR that had a different voice actor, and everyone's like, oh, that's probably the guy that's going to play Claptrap in part three that actually makes sense yeah yeah. i'm not surprised to hear that because it seems like dave eddings is kind of distancing himself with randy and the company as a whole and now that he works for rooster teeth is rooster teeth games i yeah 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 they do um that bendy game bendy bendy the ink yeah bendy and the monster god i forgot what that's called yeah bendy and the machine (laughs) you might be right though it's like bendy and the machine of the ink monsters they they published that one and then they did a ruby they published that one as well okay ruby or the the game ruby based off of their show it's gonna peeve a lot of people they're gonna be like that's not my claptrap hashtag not my claptrap maybe hashtag not my (laughs) claptrap i don't know if they get a good enough actor nobody will fucking notice that that's true true. (laughs) it's honestly it's like that's how it goes all right daniel Let's talk about some games. Borderlands 3 is so far away. Borderlands 3 is so far away. If I wanted to talk about a game that's in the mom and pop crop shops, right the fuck now. (laughs) Where would I go? You go to my fucking console where I've been playing The Division 2. Whoa, you finally popped it in. You played a little of it. What's your high-level impressions of Ubisoft's latest and greatest Tom Clancy game? I like it. You like I it? I like it a lot, actually. The boy likes Same it. Same roommates. I'm not going to front. Like, Division yeah. is a fine game. Ubisoft is really hitting it with that that franchise at this point. Yeah, it is. From yeah. start to finish, like, they throw you in the world in a cool way. Or, like, oh, I get the sense of immediacy of, like, 
the world, how it's ravaged, how everything's just getting further and further into apocalypse and these warring factions are happening. And I don't know, you get this kind of like Black Hawk down moment in the beginning of the game. Where I'm like, this <laughs> yeah. is kind of cool. And then they pull you right in. And I think from the get-go, it's got a lot of style. The game is very vibrant from its colors to its world to even the music. Like it, it throbs with like personality. Right. How, it's so how it plays good. with lighting and how the weather effects radically like change the environment where you're just like, oh shit. It's spooky out here. No, there was the one moment where we were rolling up on the White House and it was Mm. like green grass, very bright. Yeah, you had like kind of the weird feel and eeriness of like displaced set pieces, like Mm -hmm. Christmas ornaments and like giant like candy canes everywhere. You're like, oh, this is this is eerie because I know why this is here. But then like when we rolled off the path from there and like sun was setting and it was raining and there was like overcast, like this feels like a drastically different game. Yeah, yeah. The the way they do environmental rendering and, and weather effects, it's like it's impressive. I don't remember the first division being that dynamic. Mm, <clears throat> no, when did the first division come out? By the way, 2015? 2016. 2016. Yeah. It was Goodness. March. No, right. It was the March before <clears throat> Overwatch came out. I always remember. Where were you when Overwatch came out? <laughs> that that's how Daniel measures time. It's either pre Overwatch or post Overwatch. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I got into it. I made my character. She looks like Ellie from The Last of Us. She has a backwards hat. Sorry, it's a forwards hat. It's a good game. Yeah, it's a great game. But I wanted to see her in the post-apocalyptic setting even more, and I'm waiting for The Last of Us 2. Right. So, But I don't know. Like you told me last week, the gunplay is very satisfying. Yes, it is. I have to agree full-fledged with being able to swap out guns on the fly. Fucking great, right? The the set of upgrades. Quality of life. No, it's it's something that I'm like, you take for granted, you know, when you have it all the time. And then when it's gone, you really, you're like, yeah, game should have it. This game set the bar high for something like game that. Game should have it. I mean, there, there's one concession. Um, mm-hmm. You have to... The White House is kind of like your hub. So yeah. you have to go back there to kind of unlock your major skill points and stuff like that. But guns, yeah. muzzles, grips, attachments, all that stuff, you can kind of customize on the fly. And it is... It's very convenient. It's, it is. It's so it's good. It's very convenient. And it's also very visible and very apparent. Like, oh, this is better. Mm-hmm. This thing that I just picked up is better than the last thing mm-hmm. I was using gone you know yeah and they do i mean they do a great way of helping you kind of figure it out on the fly too because it's all numbered and like they show you the stats like side by side i'm like cool i don't really have to menu dive too hard to figure out which gun's better than which it's like it's there for me i can scrap and move on with my life how do you feel about the ai now now that you've actually played it because i told you that the ai gets like really aggressive about like getting you out of cover Mm -hmm. and i found that really fascinating because like oh wow they actually react pretty realistically sometimes um, I don't think I'm far enough in to far really enough. feel that effect yeah. because I'm only, honestly, like two main story missions in. I did the one where you go to the White House, you respond to the distress call, and you set yourself up as an H, sorry, an SHD soldier out yeah. there yeah. and somebody that they need to respond to and, and kind of ask for help for. And then I did the mission for you where we go save somebody's daughter from like this group. You did uh, that for me? Uh, we did that together. Oh, wow. You did it for me. Um, with the hyenas, where they had captured her and kept her at a hotel. And that was, like, the first, like, main mission I had done. Right, right. Um, and the enemies in that one, well, they were scaling. See, I was, like, a level 2. You were a level 11. So the game's like, <laughs> okay, we're going to do this clever scaling system where we bring them up to level 9. So, it's not that clever. No. It, like, they were putting hard fire on us, but they were just killing me from a distance in general because, like, I was yeah. just that much weaker by comparison. And I was killing them, like, in one shot, one shot, one yeah. shot, one shot. So I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I, I actually mm-hmm. much prefer Borderlands, uh, their solution mm-hmm. to the level disparity because, like, you'll if you're playing at, like, I'm a level 14, the other player will see their level against the enemies so i'm just like why can't you do that that Mm -hmm. seemed like it scaled appropriately yeah i don't know it's i don't know it's just a weird solution i think it's a little better than the last one i feel like i was getting punished a lot less but i'm still 
dying. I think when I was playing by myself, I was like, okay, cool, I'm, I'm getting a handle for this. Because the enemies are around me, but like playing with you, it's the same problem I had three years ago, where I'm like, I'm getting downed every other second. <laughs> yeah. Heaven save me. Yeah, you might, you might <laughs> want to put some hours into a yeah. uh, solo play just to like enjoy the game finally, instead of feeling like you're fighting against I mean, I still walls. enjoyed it, but like the first boss that we got to, like I got oh, yeah. down, like you killed him before I could even really see him. I put some <laughs> shots in him, like, yeah. oh, okay, well, I'm not really a, a match for this guy at all. <laughs> yeah i was getting a little trigger happy there yeah. it happens dude it happens to the best of us but i don't know i we like it i like f- it i'm a few missions in barely a few hours into it and i'm, I'm digging it so far i got i got my little turret uh that i throw out he doesn't have a name yet he's oh. not like a uh, drony downs drony downs <laughs> getting those downs but it serves me um we did a few hostage missions that were pretty yeah. cool we we're just and saving these these nincompoops out there you know i don't know i like the division like i like most open world shooters like that where it's like you have your main story through lines but there's so much happening in the world because it's an emergent world so like these sort of like hostage situations that are happening here and there right. or like escort missions or like oh i'm just finding intel out there that's flushing out the world it, it creates a really cool ongoing experience and i'm still mm. so early on that i'm just uh, i'm still taken by the world i haven't really had enough time to get like you know bored of it yet so it all just yeah. it's fascinating me yeah. at this point no, and it keeps on growing, and I, I look at the the map, and I'm like, oh, I haven't explored really outside of this one main area that mm-hmm. I've been doing this entire time, so I've been trying to, like, push more south and mm-hmm. get those missions, but I couldn't before, because it tells you, like, hey, you're not leveled enough to do this, and when Fair. you go over there, it's, like, just a big old like, red, a red skull on enemies, uh, okay. so it's like, you get downs instantly, I wasn't. I wasn't having that. But when you appropriately scale, you kind of push mm-hmm. outward a little more, get access to other little uh, sure. home bases to, you know, protect yourself and change I'm, your load. I'm loving that feel again, like having to find like the outposts and uh, I forget what they call them. Um, the house, what are they Safe called? houses. So, yeah, you find the safe houses and basically you, you win them over for your faction and you kind of expand the reach of the division. Yeah. And that's always cool. You always <sighs> got to be dividing. You ABD, know? man. You, know, you, get, you always have to be dividing. I try to tell people. I try, try to tell them. But I love being out there. I think DC is a great setting. Like you said, it's super, super lush and really interesting. And I like the sort of, um, what is it, the memorial feature or... was it? Oh, when you can look up in monuments? Yeah, the monument. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, cool. yeah. When you go in the environment, it's like press down and you look up at something and I'm like, cool, that's the fucking Lincoln Memorial. That's the White House. It's just a cool way to immerse you in the world a little bit more. So I think they did a good job in Ubisoft for some reason when they put a number two in front of a title, they just fucking kill it. I don't know why. Watch Dogs 2, Watch Assassin's Dogs 2. Creed 2. Yeah, yeah. Everything else sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Not Beyond Good and Evil 2, but yeah. that's they, that remains They the need same. to change it to Rainbow Six to Rainbow 2 <laughs> and they'll fucking, they'll sell 40 million copies guaranteed you they probably will i mean that game's already selling as it is though eves eves go ma if you're listening to me that's some free business advice <laughs> <laughs> you know what really surprised me though it surprised you too what? the music's really good in this the game. music is really good in that game like you're doing a mission you're kind of sneaking around and getting behind cover and you hear this like synth techno bubbling of like synth and drum machines what and guitar you're like what is happening it, it, it's like fucking the the tron legacy soundtrack is going off at random points and then <laughs> you're like well, excuse me and then sometimes it's like why am I hearing like Pelican from the end of Dead Space 2? Why am I getting these hard like metal vibes? Yeah, yeah what's <laughs> really going cool. on? I was saying it's like Trent Reznor got a hold of the Stranger Things soundtrack. It's just like so it's good. Just strangling it. I'm just like there's sometimes where I'm just bopping. I'm like, yo, yo, this is fresh. It actually creates like a cool climax and like ebb and flow yeah. for like the emotional feel of the battle. Where what I'm do like, they do? Yeah. Very Mass Effect two-y. Like I was just like, why did they do this? But I'm glad that they did. Mm-hmm. Holy shit! Like, I don't remember the music in the first one. 
being that good. I actually no, don't remember the music in the first one. It wasn't that good. <laughs> I swear to you, I would have said something if it yeah. was that good. No, this is great, actually. But yeah, I, I'm excited to play more Division. We got to play some Division 2 tonight. We're going to divide tonight. We're going to divide. We're going to conquer. And we're going to make Eves rich. We're going to do it. I'm happy that we actually got on the other night and played a bit because it's been a while yeah. since we uh, played an online game together. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's because fucking From Software is uh, just partitioning us off from each other, from Listen, our friendship. They're like, they okay. co op out. <laughs> Sucks. Bloodborne, we were the Blood Boys. What we're are we the Blood now? Boys. We're dying twice by ourselves. We're just bleeding alone, boys. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. Oh, my God. Um, so, Save Roommates. If you were to walk into the Save Room household, you would hear nothing but the Clash of Swords 24-7, okay? We've been playing a shit ton of Sekiro. It's it's sword clashing, and you can kind of hear our fucking sanities break in the dead of night. Yeah, fucking <laughs> posture breaking our sanities, like, almost every day. Tell me... Tell me some experiences. Tell me where you're at. Tell me how you feel about this game. I want to know how you feel about what it's doing to you. <laughs> I'm going to take you guys on a journey here because mm-hmm. like with any Soulsborne game, like Dark Souls 3, Bloodborne even, there is, as Kevin often describes, a clicking point. A point where something clicks for you in terms of mechanics or defense or evasion or counters that helps you understand a little bit more the gameplay and how to kind of survive in certain mm-hmm. enemy stretches. That happened to me probably day two or three with the game where I felt myself struggling, getting mowed down by like low level sub bosses and generals and just getting my ass pummeled. Yeah, I'm still getting my ass handed to me, but they're by bosses now um, because I finally hit that clicking point. I finally get the deflections and the counters Mm -hmm. and really how to make it all seamless and really turn a battle in my favor. So it's going good for me. It's going good. I actually, I'm, I'm loving this game and I think... I dare say I like it more than Dark Souls 3, and I like it more than Bloodborne. Fuck you. I'm just taking to it more. I'm taking to the world a lot more. Okay, well, fuck you. Would you agree to me with me that this game is a good blending of both? In terms of Dark Souls' defense yes. and like Bloodborne's evasiveness? Yes. Do you think it kind of blends them in a way that is just really refined? Yeah, I think it's really good. That, that's why it's it's landing for me, because I feel like I struggled to learn Dark Souls that way. Sure. And then Bloodborne, it's like, okay... <clears throat> Got to dodge a lot. Got the stamina to worry about. Sure, I can parry with my blunderbuss, but it's like... Oh, no, no. I like its systems way yeah. more as far as like what, what it's doing in this combat. I'm just going to say Bloodborne is going to be cemented as one of the greatest games mm-hmm. of all time for many more reasons than sword fighting and posture breaking. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know if I could just say like Sekiro is a better experience. I think I'm having a lot more... I'm having a different kind of fun with it. That, okay. that, that, that's all. Like when I compare those two, I feel like Bloodborne is just on some other transcendent level because of its subject matter. Whereas like Sekiro, I'm just like, no, no, it's actually a little more grounded, even mm-hmm. though, you know, there's a fantastical element to it. I mean, take the settings. You got f- the fantasy world of Lothric with Dark Souls 3. Really, really cool. Really entrancing. Yeah. That resonated with me. Bloodborne, though, that Lovecraftian nightmare feel, yeah, like it sticks with you. That game is so it, fascinating and cool. It drives you insane. But I just, this game made, Hunter's Hunt. Hunter's Hunt, dude. We're hunting for the old Hunter's nightmare hunt. and doing what we need to do. But, but, but Sekiro... We got lost in that game. So we do got lost in that game. But this grounded world of Japan that you're talking about, it's fleshed out in a way that I, I like more than the Neo, even. Mm-hmm. Where it's, I feel like just the mythos of that Japanese world, the classes of enemies, the enemy types you're coming across, and the whole story of it all, it just vibes with me like immediately more. I think the thing is, what's <laughs> funny is, even though From made the Souls series, yeah. Neo is the closest to like, what if Souls were in feudal Japan? Whereas Sekiro, I, I can't say that. I think Sekiro's on a different vibe. A different design tenants, mm-hmm. different a different goal, you know. But 
Well, it tells an interesting story between its two classes of, like, shinobi warriors and, like, the Ashina warlords and those Mm -hmm. samurais. And I think that, like, yeah, it's got the feudal Japan feel, but, like, you think of the shinobi, yeah, that's coming at the collapse of the samurai. And I think this game tells that interesting story of, like, these meeting of of communities. Right, but it has its own weird, interesting things, like how the dragon rod is affecting the land. Mm -hmm. And you resurrecting is a story component, not just, like, a a gameplay thing that happens. No, and all all the characters actually reference it, too. Like, there's one character that's kind of chasing that and uh, another character's kind of like saying no 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 it belongs to him because he's my keeper you know Mm. and even when when you die in game in the game like the character's like oh you've got that dragon presence well i'll kill you as many times as i have to (laughs) yeah and it's just like it makes sense whereas in bloodborne it would just be that thing that you're curious about you're curious about nobody really quite like spells it out for you Mm -hmm. like yeah i like that i think some people are kind of jilted by that but Mm -hmm. i like it now i will say speaking of dying daniel i have done things in this game that i wouldn't even have done for bloodborne but just because like the focus is so much on getting good at the combat the posture breaking Mm -hmm. and the deflex and the death blows that i have done certain boss fights just endlessly where i know i know i know you can walk off and you know Mm -hmm. clear your head kill some easy enemies maybe level up a little bit i i don't because the challenge that from software sets before you is that they want you to feel that thrill of success that only comes from persistence. I think that's one of the game's greatest design philosophies and triumphs. And like, one of my favorite things about this game, because I think when Bloodborne came out, I wasn't part of Twitter. Dark Souls 3, it was murmuring on Twitter, but it was mainly like, oh, Polygon had it, couldn't do their review because they couldn't finish Dark Souls 3. This, I feel like there's a cool water cooler presence about Sekiro on the internet, and we're all experiencing each other's triumph together. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool to hear like this person be like, oh, I was on this boss. They served me like 50 times, but I finally got him. Here's my video of it. Here's what you need to do. That, that's what happened to me. It happened on stream, uh, twitch.tv slash yeah. I was fighting uh, Genichiro Ashen, and he is one of the roughest customers in the game. Mm-hmm. And I probably spent four and a half hours fighting him i saw you do this boss fight across the span of three separate days (laughs) and honestly like bloodborne has never given us a fight like this nope dark souls has never really done it like this because like those games you can grind you have to be precise dump and just go ahead and like cool now i have like the certain ability and i can just damage whale on them where it's just like you have your leveling tree but you still have to learn the dance you have to learn the counters and parries mm-hmm. and you have to learn how to be aggressive in a different way and we talked about it like <clears throat> the the fights especially with boss fights it's an if then statement mm-hmm. if the boss does this then you yeah. react this way you have to learn the fights that way i was getting pummeled by this guy and here's here's the thing that happened to me daniel mm-hmm. it i struggled to get through he has two health bars right mm-hmm. I struggled to get through both of his health bars, and when I finally did, after maybe like fucking 30 attempts, he has another form. His second phase. He becomes a nude boy lightning man, (laughs) and he has these giant lightning attacks, and the game apparently wants you to jump in the air, get hit by the lightning, and deflect it back at the motherfucker, and like... A technique that they teach you on a wall scroll. You're like, this is probably going to be useful. Right. So it ends (laughs) up being where like, I'm, I'm, I don't, I can't guarantee that I get to his final form, his second form, Mm -hmm. every time I fight. I get fucking pummeled in the first form, and then I get to the second form, but I don't have enough health cords. Mm -hmm. Or I already use my resurrection. So then it becomes this whole like how 
how do I get through the first form without using health scores or without using a resurrection and just like doing that? And it's like, what are the most, what are the moves or counters that I can do against uh, Mr. Ashen that will break his posture the most? It mm-hmm. became this and that where in previous games like Dark Souls, they want you to learn its environment and learn enemy placement mm-hmm. and learn the shortcuts so you can get around enemies. There is aspects of that in this game as well. And that's still so here. It's different. But in this game, it wants you to learn your opponents more so in the same same capacity. Mm-hmm. They want you to learn every single move that they do. They want you to learn when when is uh, when is Genshiro going to throw his fucking uh, arrow at you? Mm-hmm. When's he going to leap up in the air? What is it? Which uh, perilous move is one that you can counter versus one that you got to jump away from? You have to learn every single thing about your enemies in order to conquer them. And I like that. I like that challenge. Mm-hmm. And that's why I fucking did it endlessly, even though I got to the point on this Twitch stream, by the way. <laughs> I saw this man broken. I was fucking, I was chugging beer, throwing beer bottles in the fucking ground, <laughs> not breaking, it's carpet, and just kind of going back and back and back. And people like, even in the chat were just like, you can just go do something else if you want to. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I want to do this for myself because I know I can do it. Exactly. You were I getting to the point to get there. where you were getting him through his first two health bars and like barely taking any health off yourself, barely losing your 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 gourds. You knew you had to stay your resurrection for that final form because you knew mm-hmm. how much of a challenge that it gave you. But you got it down to a science where you knew every move he was going to yep. do. You knew exactly how to break his posture. You knew how to counter him. And you were getting it to the point where I think you were breaking him to the point of a devastating blow like within 30 seconds. Yeah. You did it on my floor today because like I'm at this point in the game. <laughs> yeah, you got to this boss. He did it without glasses on. <laughs> like he just did it he got to the, the the final phase and like he still had room to breathe with it and then i got in there i fucked well, it all up <laughs> yeah I, I watched you manhandle him like or like well he manhandled you yeah he's manhandling times. and i was like hey let me give it a try and see if i still have like the muscle memory mm-hmm. and i fucking got to his second form without even sweating yeah. it was like two with, minutes with no glasses i have to squint i was like i don't know what yeah. i'm seeing but i know the 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 color on the screen means that's a perilous attack <laughs> There's been this ramp up for me because I, I got there as well, um, but I had to work through it. You know, I had to get to Guyoba, the horse lord. Uh, I had to get the to demon, la- the demon, the demon horse lord. I had to get to Lady Butterfly. I had to get through all the sub bosses. And I love that each boss fight is kind of an interesting set piece. Whereas like, I didn't always get that with Bloodborne necessarily. Like I was like, oh, this is a crazy monster design. But like the Why set. Why are you dishing and Bloodborne so no, no, no. hard? I love Bloodborne. You fucking, hate, you hate Bloodborne. Save roommates. Suddenly. I'm a Bloodborne. He fucking hates Bloodborne. He got that platinum and he hates it. Uh, that game did that game did wear me down a little bit but like there are such phenomenal feats in terms of like level design and set pieces with these bosses like where you're talking about it and you're like i can't wait for you to get to that horse fight and i was stunned like to get onto this like warlord stricken battlefield you see like bodies you see like down horses and stuff and you're fighting amongst it and it's just it's such a crazy scaling from everything you've done up until that point Mm -hmm. and it's just it's neat like that one that one beat my ass a lot that one beat me down but like after a while i was like okay same thing that you did learn the movements get into it and then like i you forget that you can block with bosses sometimes i think like with the some of the smaller enemies you're like yeah i'm really contingent i don't like on, the statement that you said you forget I'm, i don't I'm, forget that you can block with bosses. i'm saying there's a tendency to be forgotten that you can block with bosses. guys pro tip block with bosses 
Like in the same light that you could with like the little soldiers of the glass jails, yeah. where it's like you feel their hits coming, you're like, oh shit, Small I just need to soldiers? I need to dodge that or something else or jump out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once I realize, okay, I can actually hold my guard a little more, they're not gonna break my posture so immediately, then I can kinda get in there and be a little more proactive and slash about and get their posture up and break them down. So it it took some time to realize that, but once I got that in my head, I was like, Cool, now I know how to approach these boss situations, which is cool. Cause if I didn't learn that, the lady butterfly fight would have fucked me up. I'm actually kind of interested to see, like, get a player who has never played a Souls game before mm-hmm. to play this game and see how long they, it takes them to take to it, and then get players that are, like, well-steeped like we are mm-hmm. in those, those titles and, like, have to relearn how to play Sekiro. Because I felt like that was, like, a blocker for me for yeah. a little while where I was just like, oh, I'm going about this, like, Dark Souls style. It's the wrong way to go yeah, about this well, game. I mean, each game has their own sort of philosophy behind it. Right. Dark Souls, block, Bloodborne, evade. This one, learn your counters. And like, if you don't learn it, it's like you're going to have a quick jumping off point. Like I'm looking at the trophies yeah. for that. That Goiba fight, only like 49% of players have done. It's fucking great. And that's the first main yeah. boss fight. and Or if you go the main story route, rather. Um, yeah. And it's just crazy to see the drop off point. Like with, half of people like, like have not gotten yeah. like, I don't know how to. But <laughs> I like that one a lot. The Lady Butterfly yeah. one, I think, really stuck with me. I think From Software has a game with these, these names preceded by the word Lady that really stick with me. Lady Maria, Lady Butterfly. I don't know why. I love these fights. That's all you got that's all i got okay and they're that's, just great that's not enough to establish a motive <laughs> well they're on to something there at least <laughs> you but, got nothing against miyazaki <laughs> but that one was pretty memorable too that took me some time to get down and i i found my clicking point with that a little more immediately i was like cool i can be aggressive here in ways that i'm just like i feel like i'm actually jumping the learning curve mm-hmm. with this Janichiro ishido fight i am not there yet he set a new learning curve there's no curve it's it's a fucking incline <laughs> You gotta run up it, and your your ankles break when you try to get to the top. It's tough. It's it's honestly yeah. it's punishing me so hard. Where it's like I feel like I more immediately learned what I needed to do for those first two boss fights, and this one I'm like still struggling to get there. Your advice was like block, break the posture, be aggressive, and I'm like yes, I know how to do that. But he's so fast. No, but like you can get in there, man. You can get in there, yeah. and it's about learning what's the most important posture break that you have against him. Mm-hmm. I learned that really quick. There's one move that just looks like his other attacks, where he does this overhead swipe, kind of at a diagonal. It's not his most powerful overhead strike. There's one that will kill you mm-hmm. if he does it to you. But this one, if you successfully counter it with your sword, it does a lot of damo on that boy's posture, mm-hmm. and you can get that motherfucker in thirty seconds less. I've seen it. It's amazing. I was honest. I was watching playthroughs on my Feels fucking lunch good. break, where I'm like, I. I need to learn how to master this. Yeah, it's like popping a boner. It's amazing. Actually, what was really like popping a boner was deflecting his motherfucking lightning back in his mouth. Once you learn how to do that. That was my favorite (laughs) shit that I've ever done in a video game. I loved it. And that's this game. That's That's this game. That's these moments of triumphs that are like, (laughs) oh man, I'm getting my ass handed to me. But I learned that one critical counter or move that I need to turn the fight and become triumphant. And I'm glad you did it because like I knew you would. I knew you would. I knew I would too. And my fear right now is that I'm never going to get through it and I'm never going to be able to see the rest of this game because <laughs> there's such a great game. Like I'm loving everything that I'm uncovering and like yeah. the lore and all of it, like coming across the night jars or fighting on top of a castle or being in a burning steeple. Like, I don't know. It's all so great, but I'm like, I'm not going to be able to see it mm-hmm. because of this fucking general. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Yeah. You know, like, are you going to be able to see the rest of the game because your accessibility has been blocked? 
it's an interesting conversation huh? that a lot of people huh? are talking about huh? right now. It seems like this guy brought it up. Huh? Every time a hard game comes out, there's the conversation resurfaced. We saw it with sure. Cuphead a year or two ago. We saw it with Dark Souls 3. Sure. I didn't quite see it with Bloodborne because we're seeing the aftermath of Bloodborne because people are like late adopters with it. I feel like a lot of people in 2018, 2019 are, were playing it for the first time. We've actually gotten <laughs> roped into some of this discussion yeah. online, some of this discourse. And it, it, I, I think it's an interesting subject and it's interesting to, to see the different perspectives in that... Mm-hmm. Let me just put it out there. I think there are some people out there that are very kind of protective of this series and games from From mm-hmm. Software in a way that they're almost exclusionary. You know, I've even seen someone comment saying that like, oh, the whole point of this is the, you know, being elite and the exclusivity of being able to beat the challenge of these games. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that that doesn't actually match from software's design philosophy for souls games and then by extension this game too um here's a fun quote from a series creator Hitaki miyazaki he says quote this fact that a number of people may hesitate to play dark souls because of its difficulty is really sad to me mm-hmm. end quote so he has reiterated that he believes that you know these games are about being able to persevere and own a challenge by being persistent Mm -hmm. and some people are taking it to mean that oh it has to be this whole thing about high difficulty and high skill level are the only way to appreciate what the designers intended to give us and that doesn't really seem to match their intention because for me if if the only design goal was to make a hard as nails game Mm -hmm. then why would from software waste any amount of time on the lore building the world building Mm -hmm. the character designs any of it it would be wireframes doing sword battles in the fucking danger room no it's 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 definitely true and um it's funny because as somebody who takes the games like this like you think okay the main purpose of it is to be hard and punish you and provide you with a challenge but like from software and developers want you to experience their games. Like there's a reason why there are tutorials. There's a reason why Dark Souls and Bloodborne had a sort of summoning system where you can bring friends in and help you out. There is a reason for the hidden messages, all the little things that scaling and help you learn it. There's a reason why Sekiro has like little information pockets of like, oh, did you know if you do this counter when you do that, mm-hmm. you can do a devastating blow. So obviously they want you to like experience the yeah, game. Yeah, it's not like they want like <laughs> only the best of the best to be able to play yeah. their games. That's not how they think. Well, that, it sucks that that's the mindset of people who are right. hard up about these games. These from software diehards. It's like they're. It's like a. A moment of exclusionary gatekeeping where they're like, oh, if you can't get good at this game, you don't deserve to play it. No, fuck that mindset because everybody deserves to play every game. Honestly, (laughs) the get good mentality is one of the most toxic things that I've seen to come out of uh, gaming in the last 10 Mm -hmm. years. It's shitty. Like, yes, get like learn a game systems, master it, improve, do your stat dumps if you need to, or in this case, learn your counters. But like get good is such a pejorative for like just demeaning. It's just like, yeah, it's shitty, you know? And so then we get into the, the cardinal sin for mm-hmm. from fans which is what if they're an easy mode what if there was an easy mode mm-hmm. what if there is an assisted mode what if there is something to help people let's say in the instance and i'm going to put it out there someone with disabilities mm-hmm. who is very interested in the lore of Sekiro and the story and everything they've done mm-hmm. but can't engage with, cannot physically engage with the game the same way that you or i can mm-hmm. and we're seeing a lot more of that because of twitter and because of devs just listening and adding those options into their game like and it doesn't ruin the game no i'll, I'll take Celeste, for example. You yeah. know, Matt Makins, 
I talk about this every episode we talk about Celeste. I give them a huge nod for adding accessibility options and having various ones. It's not just like a, oh, accessibility mode on. <laughs> they really do tailor it to each player. Like, right. oh, I can have infinite jumps or I'm invincible or I can speed mm-hmm. up the gameplay if I want. It's little sliders based off of a player by player basis. Yes. The point of Celeste is to be a challenging platformer where you feel like you are alongside Madeline in her journey and overcoming that sort of turmoil and triumphing. That is there. But after a while, it's like, well, if you can't do it, the game's beating you down. That's just what it is. So they were like, we want people to experience this. Yeah, like we want the challenge to be there. So experience like that first. But if you can't, here's an option for you to be able to do that. And I think that's super duper fair. In fact, from Miyazaki's perspective, <coughs> he had an interview where he, he believes that their solution to um, hitting that design tenant of we want you to feel success uh, through perseverance, mm-hmm. they have a clunky solution, which is difficulty. His intention is that if they can find a better means of making players feel that way, mm-hmm. they would be doing it. Yeah, it wouldn't be just be that. So what's interesting is that um, this conversation kind of erupted in our mentions, mm-hmm. and uh, someone by the name of Ian Hamilton, a very interesting guy actually, because he came into our mentions and kind of dropped some knowledge because somebody was like engaging with us about the subject of yeah. like whether or not a Dark Souls or a Sekiro should have an easy mode, mm-hmm. and he is actually a games accessibility specialist who helps studios avoid excluding players with disabilities and he was talking about the series and you know from from miyazaki's perspective and well here it goes quote as haitaka miyazaki said in an interview their goal is not to make games for people who have a high skill level their goal is to make games for people who enjoy the feeling of success through persistence which is a fundamentally different thing it's an important distinction It means that if someone enjoys the feeling of success through persistence, but can't succeed no matter how much they persist, Mm -hmm. that's directly against the designer's vision. It's it's hard with these games because those two philosophies kind of blur, where if you can't overcome a thing in a game, you're not going to get that triumph of knowing the success and and learning it that way. You're just going to get the defeat. So you're like, well, this is just a hard game and that's Mm -hmm. just how it's going to be. I'm not meant to play it. (laughs) So how does it fuck up? you know, the core Souls fan experience mm-hmm. that there is another option that they don't have to engage with mm-hmm. for players to walk in and be like, hey, maybe there's an assisted mode where it does like auto deflex for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's an assisted mode where every enemy has half the uh, uh, health pool. Mm-hmm. You know, different options. I don't think that, you know, because easy mode is like a cudgel. Yeah, you know? I, I was thinking about it when I was playing that uh, Jinichiro Ashina fight in that beautiful castle. And I was like, how, yeah. if I was doing this for like, say four hours, five hours, and I was on my 200th attempt, and I was just done. What would make this feel better for me? Because, like, in easy mode, mm-hmm. maybe they counter less. Maybe it's easy to land devastating blows. Maybe you do more damage. Sure, but then I'm speeding through it in another way. Uh, I, I really don't know how they would scale it. So I, I was talking to you. I was like, what about, like, AI scaling, enemy scaling? Which we've, we've seen plenty of examples <clears throat> of in gaming already. Like, uh, you mentioned Left 4 Dead, which yeah. uses a director system that actually, if your team is doing well, they're going to up the difficulty mm-hmm. against you. But if you're doing badly, they're going to ease up on you. And we actually saw a similar system uh, implemented in Resident Evil 4. And it wasn't revealed until many years after Resident Evil 4 came out, where Shinji Mikami came out and said, yeah, there's a, there's a difficulty scale that if you're doing poorly, then you know your shots counted more and then you wouldn't see as many enemies and stuff like that yeah i don't know about that yeah that's a true fact i mean that's that's kind of a cool invisible way of scaling it where it's like uh, otherwise okay like in a game like i typically resident evil actually if you're doing a a thing on a certain difficulty you get beat an x amount of time sometimes it'll ask you like hey do you want to like lower the difficulty to easy and like i think that's a fair thing to ask you like five deaths in. i'm like maybe (laughs) maybe i should switch it but (laughs) 
that's sort of like, okay, you're struggling here. You're not taking down enemies as quickly as you can. Let's make your bullets count a little more. And I, I think that's, I don't know how that design works, but I think that's cool if you can implement it into these games. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I really, really, like, honestly, it will not fuck up anyone's holistic experience with this game mm-hmm. if there's an option there that they don't have to engage with. The thing is, games have gotten to a point where they're available to everyone. Mm-hmm. The question is about how do we make them accessible yeah. to everyone? And why does it matter to you that there is a version of Dark Souls out there mm-hmm. that's a little bit easier for people that want it to be easier? You still have the bragging rights of going after that high-level play mm-hmm. of that quote-unquote intended experience that you think from software is trying to provide you. Mm-hmm. You still have that. But otherwise, if you don't want to engage with this option, what, it's a sub-menu click away? You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Fuck the fuck off. You're gatekeeping. That's what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. that's not what we want for this industry or this fandom. We want to bring more people. You're gatekeeping and you're kind of being ableist. You're saying people who have disabilities or aren't at the same cognitive level or discipline in a game as you, they can't experience it the same way. And that sucks. Bingo. Like that literally sucks. Like we look at games like um, Uncharted 4. That game had a lot of quick time events. Yeah. Um, and I think it was with that one that Naughty Dog, that was the first time I'd seen it, like an accessibility feature in a game where they're like, okay, quick time events are hard. It's hard to mash X to make this jump happen or, you know, make the sequence happen the way we need it to. So they switch it over to a hold method where you can just hold the button mm-hmm. and it'll circle until the action's complete. And I thought that was a really neat way to kind of help people who couldn't get that down because they're not physically capable of it. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I, I love the fact that we have developers that are asking themselves those questions where yeah. it's like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, because you can't just assume everyone's going to be at the same skill gap you know mm-hmm. it's like where where are those those kind of pauses for a player that can't engage in the same way i love that we're asking those questions and i don't think it's a sin for the high standard for difficulty mm-hmm. souls games and Sekiro, to ask those same questions it doesn't fuck up your experience it just brings more fans into the fold and mm-hmm. that's what you want because the more people that can engage with these games the more successful they can be and the more of them that you can see out there in the world you don't want that? I mean, think about most fans in most communities. Think about Star Wars fans. Think about Game of Thrones fans. Think about uh, Borderlands fans. They this have these... Bad. I know, and it's going to get worse if we let it happen. <laughs> You're thinking about these people who love this product, but they feel like it's theirs. They feel like they own it and they're exclusionary with it, where they don't want mm. it to be this big thing because they feel like it belongs to them. And the mm. more people can access it, like suddenly becomes less to them. No, it's still an experience you played in a game that you mastered. Who cares if more people are playing it? You know, it's just such a weird toxic mindset. Let, let, let's break this mentality <laughs> like right now, which is when you buy a game, you don't own it. You're sharing it. You're sharing that experience with a lot of other people, mm-hmm. millions of players in the world that may have different perspectives and different abilities. And it's OK to give them the agency to engage. I that's think that's it. the one one of the neatest things about gaming, the shared experience, these mm-hmm. water cooler moments of all, all of us talking about the same thing. Maybe experiencing it the same way, maybe not. But it's like, it's we're all telling our stories and it's like, that's so cool that video games could offer us something like that. So what it comes down to, and it's something that is kind of a theme, a core dynamic of the save room, which is... Don't be a dick. We, yeah. <laughs> we love games. We want to share games with as many people as possible. We want to have these discussions. We don't want to keep anybody out. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you out there, listener? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't want to keep people out because you want this thing you love to be supported listen not everybody is like us we we were having a, a conversation a discourse with somebody on twitter about this whole ex- accessibility thing but he was like no the point of dark souls games are to be hard if it's crushing you and you can't do it you can't do it and i'm like that's not the point that's not the point 
you know? And how do you how do you <laughs> prescribe the point? You're not on that dev team. Yeah. They, well, you don't even speak Japanese. It's like, <laughs> how do you know that that is what they intended? And then yeah. everything I hear from Miyazaki is that he's actually upset that his games are too hard for everyone to enjoy. And he wants to work toward a direction where maybe that isn't the case Listen, anymore. He might have the mind of a serial masochist. Yeah, yeah. And pretty sadistic it's too. But cobwebs in there, right? But he wants people to enjoy these these games because he, he put his heart into it and he exactly. loves he loves it. Whole team did. So you know that's what it comes down to. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> I mean, yes. Has Sekiro made me want to throw my controller at my TV? Sure. sure. I've had some really frustrating moments. I've actually had a harder time in this than I have had in Bloodborne and Dark Souls put together. But I'm gonna keep trying. I'm not gonna put it down. Do I wish that there was like a little slider difficulty or something sure but because there isn't one because the game lets me know that i can eventually overcome something i'm just gonna figure it out that's all you gotta do sure that's all you gotta do but you know we gotta give people the options to figure it out the mm-hmm. way that they can but no of course <laughs> that's it i i'm gonna wholly give it to developers uh naughty dog ubisoft matt makes games xbox even for their adaptive controller mm-hmm. i'm giving it to these people who are trying to move the industry forward because i think they're making important strides because gaming should be available to everybody that's, that's it. it at the end of the day there you, you know? go <laughs> there you go dogs all right guys i think we're gonna cut this one off thank you so much for putting your ears on this this has been the save room episode 57 episode 57 remember this this is our alibi in mm-hmm. case we commit any crimes uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you can check us out please if you want to jump in our mentions or talk about even this accessibility and gaming which is cool we're, mm-hmm. we're happy to have a discussion follow us at save room show otherwise give us a good old good old thumbs up on the the ratings get spectrum there yeah and please give us a follow over at twitch.tv kevin over at twitch.tv slash the red herb and me over at twitch.tv slash dungeons and daniels watch us play secure watch us die triumph with us and uh help me me get to affiliate status guys oh yeah i'm working towards a new goal this year affiliate 2k19 i just need to hit 50 followers yo he's gonna quit his job become a streamer (laughs) ninja too ninja too (laughs) okay guys all right thank you so much save your games i don't know remember to save your games yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's it every time